Welcome to Up My Hockey with Jason Podolan, where we deconstruct the NHL journey, discuss what it takes to make it, and have a few laughs along the way. I'm your host, Jason Podolan, a 31st overall draft pick who played 41 NHL games, but thought he was destined for a thousand. Learn from my story and those of my guests. This is a hockey podcast about reaching your potential. Hello there and welcome back to Up My Hockey with Jason Podolan for episode number 41. I am Jason Podolan and today we have a first ballot Hall of Famer on the show. Not often you get to say that and I am really happy to be able to introduce Jerome McGinley to the listeners of Up My Hockey. Jerome is a peer of mine, meaning that we played against each other in the Western Hockey League. Uh, for three seasons. We also played together as part of the World Junior Championship team for Canada that won gold in 1996. So Jerome and I have a bit of history. Uh, obviously, our, our careers took different directions uh, come pro. So I never played against him as a as a pro, but did, did run into him uh, as teenagers. And Jerome now, it's interesting to me because Having somebody who is your own age, actually Jerome's a year younger than me, uh, kind of embody this role model example type persona is is quite interesting for me. But that is what Jerome McGinley is to me. I think he represents everything that is right about Canadian hockey. And why I say Canadian is because he's a Canadian player. And the way he played the game, the way he represented the game, the way he carried himself through the game as an ambassador and as a leader and as a, and as a role model, uh, everything about Eggy is just right. I think, you know, and when I think of Canadian hockey player, like I honestly, I, I, Mario Lemieux was my guy growing up, but Mario Lemieux was ultra talented. He worked hard, but he was ultra talented. He wasn't that physical. Gretzky was, uh, Gretzky was Gretzky, the great one, the greatest ever. But when I think of like Canadian hockey players when i think of canadian players with the dna of a canadian hockey player i think of guys like chris pronger scott stevens uh brandon shanahan eric lindros you know i and jerome mcginla like i think that he played the game hard with a level of intensity that was intimidating he knew when to fight he could fight he could score goals he was a great teammate. He just played the game the right way. And I just think everything about that is like, you know what? If you could put a poster up of what I think a Canadian hockey player should be like, it's Jerome McGinley. He represents that line that I've talked about in my, in my, uh, on my, my hockey platform of like being when people say I am a hockey player, I want that to mean what, Joe, what Jerome McGinley represented. Right. There should be a level of pride when you say I am a hockey player uh, on and off the ice. There's a level of respect that comes with saying that there should be a level of uh, pride. And there's a, a there's a level of, geez, just reverence right for the game that you you get to play this game, this special game with this great history. And we need to represent it well. And for Jerome, he, he, he checks all the boxes and for him to spend two hours with us tells you how, what an amazing type of player he, he is, what an amazing type of person he is. Uh, he's so grateful. He's so thankful. He's so easy to talk to. 
And, you know, I won't even get into the hockey card stuff. Like, look at the back of his hockey card. 1,500 NHL games, 600 goals in the best league in the world. Only, I think, 20 players have done that. He's one of only seven players to have scored 30 goals in 11 consecutive seasons. Like, he won two Memorial Cups. He won two gold medals. He won a World Cup of Hockey. The only thing he didn't win was the Stanley Cup. And he got to game seven of the finals uh, and came one goal away from doing that. So, you know, the the accolades are endless with this guy. Um, but I really do feel he's a gentleman and and a great person first and foremost. And that's what we try to get in here today in this interview. Uh, I hope you love it as much as I did. He's a, he's a hard guy not to like. Uh, so without further ado, I bring you first ballot Hall of Famer and all-around all-star gentleman, Mr. Jerome McGinley. All right, welcome back to Up My Hockey with Jason Podolan, and we're here for episode 41 with an old nemesis of mine from back in the junior days, uh, Mr. Jerome McGinley. Iggy, thanks so much for taking the time to be in here today. Hey, Pods, uh, thanks for having me. No problem, man. This is a real honor. I know you're a busy guy. Um, man, we, you know, it's been, it's been so long, which is so crazy too, right? Like, from going back to battling for for three years against each other in, in Kamloops to you know winning a gold medal at World Junior and then kind of our careers not kind of definitely took a different course and then you know we kind of pass each other a little bit in in uh, in the summer sometimes but it's going to be awesome to go over you know the Hall of Fame career the twenty seasons uh, all the amazing things that you covered but I do want to get into kind of where it all began and back in St. Albert, which is really what, what I don't know much about. I think the uh, the genesis of each of us is an interesting thing to cover. So um, can you tell us, Iggy, just a little bit about, you know, growing up in St. Albert, a hockey hotbed in and of itself. Um, I'm sure there wasn't much else going on there in the wintertime other than hockey. How, how were you introduced to the sport and, and what do you remember from your days there? I will. But first of all, I want to say I was when you introduced me, you said our nemesis. I'm thinking, geez, we won World Juniors together and that's what we got. But yeah, we had some good battles, uh, the Blazers and the Chiefs. Hey, eh? it was, uh, man, that was a ton of fun, uh, junior and stuff. But um, yeah, no, uh, thanks for having me. Yeah, I grew up, I grew up in a great uh, hockey place uh, in St. Albert, and um, it's it's a really good community to grow up. Um, as far as uh, you you can get everywhere on your bike, you can walk everywhere. Uh, even now, it's obviously bigger. It's probably was maybe 35,000 when I was younger and now it's probably 60 or something, you know, I might be a little off. Um, but they had a school, they had, you know, every neighborhood had kind of like a school and a rink, an outdoor rink. So a really neat place to, to grow up and, and fields, you know, they had baseball parks and, and um, it was just a really good sports city. So I was very, very lucky, uh, very blessed to get to, to grow up there. My mom, my mom moved, uh, we moved there at age uh, seven from uh, Edmonton. And um, I got involved in sports. My grandparents lived out there. So it was more support after uh, school. I could go and, um, you know, I'd go to my grandparents after school and she'd be working and stuff. So, mm. um, yeah, it was it was awesome. But it, you know, and everybody in St. Albert pretty much as most of Canada. It's, I mean, most, most boys played hockey, you know, and, and I started hockey age seven. Um, but uh, it was a little bit, I was definitely behind when I started. It was uh, a little bit late. I played baseball and I played a ton of sports, but uh, St. Albert was a big part of, uh, you know, my, 
my sport career and falling in love with it and then being able to catch up because there were outdoor rinks everywhere. There was one right down the street, a block from my grandparents' uh, house. And then as I got older, you know, my mom, we moved uh, when I was 13 to a place where there was a half a block an outdoor rink. So, right. you know, it was a chance, like almost your own backyard rink and they had nice sheds for uh, heat and warm and you could spend a whole day there. Was that, um, you mentioned, you know, that you started late. Which is, I, I keep thinking about Ed Jovanovski when I hear that, because I can't believe how late he started and ended up being the first overall pick, you know, my year, which is insane. But there was that conversation in, in our house, just with, with my own boys, because uh, my middle goal, my middle son, who's now a goalie, started relatively late. And it was second year novice was when he started. And it was almost at that point where, yeah, if you didn't really get in, you're almost feeling like, man, like I need to get in, right? Because everyone's played now for three, four years. And it's like, where do you start kind of? So were you like, how far behind the eight ball do you remember being? Were you, were you lagging quite a bit behind? Yeah, yeah, I was, I was, uh, you know, I mean, I remember it better than it probably was, right? Um, yeah. But uh, yeah, so I was into sports. My mom put me in like uh, floor hockey at five years old in Edmonton uh, in a community floor hockey league. She took me to like uh, roller skating, you know, so yeah. I, I had a little bit of balance and, um, you know, uh, I played, uh, T-ball, you know, baseball. Um, but that, uh, that was it. So when I went out to my first practice, uh, my first trial in St. Albert, I had my grandpa sign me up for hockey. And I actually went out to the outdoor rink one time the year before with my aunt took me out and I just tried it and I fell around and I said, sure, I'll play. My grandpa wanted me to play. He loved hockey. Uh, so I went to my first trial in St. Albert and, uh, I had, I showed up, my grandpa took me and it was at the Parent Street Arena in St. Albert that's no longer there, it was downtown there. And he expected them to have a jersey and some socks for me. So I had never, 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 you know, I was excited, I had my equipment. It was time to get on, we were a little bit behind. And he said, you know, like, you gotta go on, it's trials, you gotta go on. So I had never, I had never been in organized hockey before. I went on for my first tryout no, no socks over my shin pads, no Jersey, uh, rolling around out there, uh, barely skate. Could you imagine how I looked? It was, it was so rough. Um, I didn't know any better though. And, uh, I was just crashing around out there. Um, my grandpa went and, uh, got me a Jersey and it was kind of funny. It was kind of a story. Um, the only Jersey that was available in my size is from the sports store down the, the, the street was a flames jersey and flames weren't that popular in st albert edmonton so he actually got me this i wasn't that excited it had no crest but it was all the flames colors and that's what i that was my first ever jersey and i actually still have it my mom kept it for me so i always thought that was cool but if you're wondering what i made it was you could make novice c novice b or novice a your first year as a seven year old and yeah. I, I made the bottom league novice c and, and i deserve to be there for sure Oh my God. I absolutely love that story. Like if we could have a picture of that, I mean, how many people around that rink were thinking, Oh, here's a future hall of famer in the NHL. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. I had a big afro, my hair going everywhere. Oh, it was, uh, Oh yeah. It was, I, I can't imagine how I looked. My mom said, uh, you know, that first year I, I felt like by the end of the year, I graduated to be able to like, we play, we've made the playoffs and you put your five guys on, we made the overtime. And I got to be one of the five guys that was a defenseman. And I thought I was pretty good, but my mom said, no, she said they would, they would go by you, but you're ultra competitive and you would dive, you know, and the refs weren't calling a lot of penalties. So I just dive at everybody. And, yeah. but uh, skating was tough, a tough go for, for a while there for yeah. me. 
That's a hard thing to do, man. Like really being on ice skates is, is tricky, is a tricky thing. Uh, you're obviously a good athlete. I, I mean, I assume you to, to be, to be, to end up being uh, such a great hockey player. Was there ever a decision at any point? Like was, was another, was another sport uh, ever considered as, as being something you would do full time? Well, I love baseball and I always dreamed of, uh, you know, being like Bo Jackson and playing in the NHL and, and being a baseball player. And, um, you know, when I, as I got a little bit older, I, I had two things. I realized that the seasons didn't quite work because hockey would be going on and baseball going on and you're not really allowed to leave one or the other in the pros. So that dream came to an end, but also um, I, I wasn't as a good baseball player as I was uh, a hockey player uh, mm. as I got older. Um, so that the opportunities were better for me in, uh, in hockey, but I played baseball all the way from seven, you know, uh, all the way up till I was 17. I'd been, um, so it was, a, it was a ton of fun and it was a great, a great release, but I did, I did when I was about 15, I had to make, um, you know, a decision, I guess, whether I was going to go to WHL or, uh, you know, you know how it is, you WHL mm -hmm. or whether you want to go a college route. So um, my grandpa did say that he talked to one scout for North Dakota that said, you know, they wanted me to play hockey there. And, you know, that since I played baseball, they were kind of intrigued. Uh, you know, I, or my grandpa said, well, what if you could come and play both? And they said, well, maybe, you know, they'd never even see me play baseball, but <laughs> they would stick me on there. But uh, I love baseball too. And, and uh, played a ton of it. I played a, a lot of sports growing up and um, uh, well, I'm happy I didn't go to North Dakota. They used to have mm -hmm. a, a baseball team there, but obviously I went to Kamloops and it was a, mm -hmm. a great decision and a great experience. But um, yeah, I love sports. I, I absolutely loved it. Had a great time growing up played as many sports as I could and, and uh, you name it, literally we should, you know, I, I, I might've, I might've played it. Right. Is that, um, that's become a bit of a point of contention, especially now with, I mean, how crazy it is being a hockey dad. Uh, and I know you are a hockey dad now and, and, you know, when you have kids that are good and they're passionate about what they're doing, you can play hockey every month of the year if you want to. And I know that we grew up in environments that weren't necessarily like that. Uh, and some of us are a little bit old school in the fact of thinking, that is the way it should still be, right? That we should still be playing as, as many sports as we can for kind of as long as we can. Uh, that is that is where I'm at personally, and not to obviously bias your opinion, but wh where where do you think that lies? I mean, is it is it better to be just a better all-around athlete or if hockey's your thing than just dive in with both feet and, and, and do it? Oh, that's, that's a good, you know, that's a good question. And I ask myself, my wife and I talk about it all the time. Um, I think that you want to be a really, really good athlete for sure. Um, you know, I, I think that being able to have coordination and uh, being able to know your body and, and you pick up things quicker, but I don't think you can do hockey. So first of all, to go back, my personal thing is that you have to be, some parents will, will put their kids in everything and they'll take them to everything, but the kid won't really get as good as he should or get that much better. And to me, I think it's more, um, you know, I, is that they have to be into it to get better. You know what I mean? There's lots out there. They go to practice. I coach, I've been coaching for the last, you know, I guess this is our, my fourth year since, since being out and I get a chance uh, to coach the boys teams, uh, both boys teams. And you do see it over the years, the ones that get better, they come to practice. They want to be there. They're focused. They like it, but they're working hard. I don't, as soon as I turn my head, not just when I'm looking, you know what I mean? Or when one of the other coaches it's, when I'm not looking, they're still focused. They're still working on something. They go home, they work on something. And the ones that aren't as into it, nothing wrong with that, but I don't think they get as good. But where I went with that is that I think that 
cross training is so important because you can't just be into hockey all the time mentally. It's a very, you know, and I think any sport, I think you need a break. I think that uh, doesn't mean you need four or five, six months off, but I think the cross training get, helps you keep getting more athletic, helps you get faster, more power, more coordinated. And then you're fresher when you go back to your other sports. So I love, like when I was younger, um, you know, if, if we had two weeks off between hockey and baseball and uh, the baseball seasons both ways, but I did play some summer hockey, but it was like that two weeks just made you, you know, chomp at the bit to get going. You know what I mean? Like I wanted to be doing stuff and I, and I'm sure you did too. You want to play as a kid. You want to be out there. Our, you know, our boys and, and our daughter, um, they don't want to be on a, a break and, oh, you get two weeks off. They'd be like, what? I don't want two weeks off of, they want to do something. They want to do some sport and, you know, thankfully right now, preferably hockey, but uh, yeah. So I think the cross training is a huge thing. And I think it is because it's good to give your hips a break and your body a break and train different things. But I think your mind needs to, and while you're taking a break, you can still get better at the, the sport you're doing. Yeah, no, I think that's a great point. And it is interesting because every athlete's different. I mean, I think about my oldest right now as you're talking, like he is hockey fanatic, right? Like he, he loves, he loves hockey and there's not anything else that he loves. Like, it's like, you know, let's go do this and he'll maybe go do it, but it's almost like you're talking like, I mean, he's kind of half there, you know, he'd rather be on the ice, you know? So it's, it's, uh, it's tough to moderate that. I think as a parent, it's one of the things that we need to be good at is, you know, what, what do they need? How much do they need? Uh, because sometimes what they want you know, we know isn't exactly what they need. So, you know, you have to, you have to try and balance that. But uh, I, I want to get into that a little bit as a, as a hockey parent for sure. And I want to, maybe the segue though is going to be like your parents and, and your, your growing up in the support system that you had. You already mentioned your grandparents. I know that you, you were in your mom's home for the most part, but dad was still a part of your life from my understanding. How did that support network and that infrastructure of, you know, your family life create, the Jerome Gamble that I'm talking to today. Um, yeah, I was extremely, extremely blessed. So my parents were divorced. Um, you know, they were, I guess, kind of hippies, you know, and, and they got married and, and they were divorced before I was like one, you know? Um, and now I look at them and are even all, all the way growing up. Um, it's hard to believe, like, they, they, I can't believe they were ever together kind of, you know what I mean? <laughs> They're just two very different people, two wonderful people, and very different. And uh, ever since I was younger, my dad, um, he uh, was always remarried. Uh, so as far back as I can remember, my dad's always had uh, uh, had my you know stepmom, and then my um, I was always with my mom. Uh, but yeah, thankfully my mom, they Edmonton's you know not that big. You can get anywhere around Edmonton in you know half hour, one into the other. So uh, I grew up with my mom. And uh, I saw my dad regularly and, and really I didn't see him all the time, but whenever I wanted to see him, if I called him, I knew I always could and I knew he'd always come. And that was really, really important to me. And I think that was uh, something that I didn't want to go to my, I didn't have regular visiting um, hours at my dad's. It was, uh, uh, my mom is really, whenever I wanted to go, I could go. And if I needed to go or wanted to go see my dad, you know, he would surprise me sometimes and come out and, you know, come play tennis or we'd go do stuff and I'd see him a decent amount, but I saw him as much as I wanted to. And I'm happy that I didn't have to go and, you know, everyone has their own situation. And, um, but for me it worked. And what was most important is I just felt like I could rely on them and like my dad and call him whenever I needed him. And that was the most important. So going to St. Albert, my mom moved, um, 
to St. Albert at age seven and to be closer to my grandparents so that, you know, after schools, I could go there, as I said. And uh, it was awesome. My grandparents, they love sports. My mom loved sports. My dad wasn't really into sports. Um, he was going to school. Uh, he he uh, was in pre-med and then he went to, he finished in, uh, he's a lawyer. Uh, so he's really into school and he loved it. And, but he wasn't really into sports. You know, he knows he, now he loves them. He loves them. And you know, it's all that. But when I was younger, he's like, you know, if it was probably, if I lived with him, I wouldn't have played sports. So, uh, but my mom also says that she needed to put me into sports cause I had so much energy, you know, and, and like, I had a hard time staying focused. And, uh, so literally every sport, like I played, I was in bowling at, you know, from six to 10 years old. I, I played, you know, at the tennis, I played obviously hockey, baseball, uh, in school, I played volleyball, basketball, uh, you know, in the junior high and, um, you know, I tried soccer. So it was like at badminton. I loved them. I loved just to be, but saying that what took the, what, what there's only so much time in the day. So if I'm playing those things, school, school, I, I wasn't a, I wasn't a straight A student, <laughs> you know, unfortunately now with our kids, you know, we chase them around. They're not, they, they got to find enough time to, to do that. So I, I, you know, I was a, a solid student and, and uh, graduated high school and everything, but you know, there's only so much time in a day. So the school, uh, no one was chasing me around all the time to do my homework after schools and stuff. So that did take a little bit of a, uh, a backseat, I guess, as far as uh, mm -hmm. trying to get straight A's or, or such. So, uh, but yeah, I go to my grandparents after school and uh, got to just play and be a kid and move around and, and get to that outdoor rink as much as I could. He, he would get me into hockey schools, power skating to catch up. Um, and they just, it was all about just having fun. You know, I, I never had a game. They literally never, ever, my mom would go. She didn't really know hockey. She'd be like, oh, great game, no matter what. Just great job, you know. My grandpa never, never, ever, he, he never, ever told me bad game or anything or work harder. He just, he just enjoyed it. Right. Is there, uh, you know, you've been, I don't know what the right word is, revered, lauded, you know, admired for, for your character and your leadership throughout your 20 years. And there's not a, there's not a reporter, I think, that, that is, has a bad thing to say about you. Is, is, does that come from where you came from, do you think? Was that, was that a part of, part of what was important to be, to be Jerome McGinley and, and to have that name? Oh, thanks. Um, well, definitely, definitely my family is a big part of me. I mean, I, I, I could, you know, I, I have uh, two brothers and two sisters, um, um, half brothers and sisters and, and, uh, uh, very close with them. They're wonderful. And, and, uh, you know, they've been very supportive over my career. And, uh, you know, like I say, I had my dad, uh, my mom and, and grandparents. And so another thing that I was always really blessed with too, is that I always felt like somebody was always happy to see me, you know, like my mom never saw me as much as she probably wanted to, because she had to work a lot. And, you know, she'd pick me up after late in the day and maybe spend a couple hours before bedtime. And, you know, she made, you know, special days, like every Tuesday, I was kind of, you know, a little bit, uh, I don't know, maybe a little bit spoiled in the sense that, you know, every Tuesday she would, you know, she couldn't drop me off or pick me up every day from school, but Tuesdays was her one day at lunch. She could get me like any hot lunch, you know, so I could, I could come up with something like McDonald's or Edo, uh, something that she would bring to school. And I, you know, it made me feel pretty special also, uh, mm -hmm. very enjoyable. So, but I did feel that I was extremely blessed in a very happy childhood but because literally no one I, they were always like you know you didn't spend too much they're always excited to see me they made me feel like and 
And uh, that's a pretty neat feeling as a kid. And my grandparents were happy to have me and help out. And, you know, and maybe I didn't wear on to, I didn't spend that much time always in one. So, um, but it was, it was a ton of fun. And, uh, but yeah, my dad's uh, very, very close to him. And, and uh, uh, my grandpa, they're, they're my parents, my mom, my grandma, they're all wonderful examples for me. And, and uh, uh, about trying to, to be a, you know, do your best and try to treat people the way you want to be treated and, and, to uh, to learn and grow and, and to try to improve and you know not just about sports but life and uh, also I I mean I believe in God and and uh, um, and you know Jesus and and trying to you know I think the most important thing I think my mom said you know and and my dad is and it is really I, I said it but just trying to remember to treat people how you'd want to be treated you know and you try to and I think teams being on all the different teams growing up you learn things and. And uh, you make mistakes. Sometimes you, you're, you're rude or, or you'd like to do things over, but try to do your best. And um, they've been great examples. And I've played with amazing people and had great coaches and uh, from minor hockey on. And, and um, I'm still learning. And, and now, I'm, you know, you coach the kids and there's some good days and you feel like, man, I, I got this. It was a great practice. And another day you're like, oh, it was, I wasn't a very good coach today. Did I get too mad? Did I get too grumpy? So... It's, uh, it's yeah. part of life and it's uh, it's a lot of fun. Do you think one of the words, I don't even know if you used the word, but you're definitely, uh, you know, leaning towards it was being interested in things and curious and, and curiosity, I find is like such a valuable trait to have. And it's something that you can, that we can grow. But if like to be a high performer and to try and get better and to be humble enough to recognize that on a personal level, we need to be curious, right? We need to ask the questions, whether it's internal questions or whether it's questions externally to those who are around us in our inner circle um, about, yeah, how can I get better or what can I improve? Or I mean, what, how can I look at this angle differently? Do you feel that that has been something that served you um, in hockey and, and in parenting? Yeah, that's, that's a good point. You make uh, you know, curiosity and, and I think of it more like, um, I think you have, yeah, if you can help the, I think as our parent, uh, as a parent, we have to try to help our kids find their passion, right. And, and to be something that they're curious about and, and that they want to get better at, you know, whether it's uh, science, whether it's um, mechanics, whether, you know, sports, it's, uh, you know, I was very fortunate. My mom, my mom and grandparents got me in a ton of sports. I loved sports. They recognized that early. All I wanted to do was go to camps. I, I would just sit out there. My grandpa's, uh, he had a, he had a, uh, you know, uh, what do you call it? Not a garage, but it, it, it had a cover, you know, like, mm -hmm. so it was like a carport. Kind of. Carport. Yeah. 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 You yeah. Don't see many, yeah. Carports, uh, now, right. I don't, I haven't seen as many and, and, uh, um, but he had a nice, he had a carport. I, I could shoot the ball against it and I would shoot out there all day and, and, you know, tennis ball and I would come back and, um, you know, and that, but it just gave me an outlet there. And, and so I was always trying to play some, and I was curious, you know, if I'd order those videos about, you know, Brett Hall or, or, uh, uh, Ray Bork and how to improve the shot, but it was something that I was into, you know what I mean? If, if I don't know, like, I, I think the most, important thing I like is to try to find what your kids really like. Cause I think we all have something that we're into, you know, like, and it's different than whether it's music, whether it's, uh, and, you know, I think that's great when parents help trying to, if they have the opportunity and they can put their kids and stuff and try to try to notice what it is, because, you know, sometimes you see is 
if a parent loves hockey more than their kid does, that's great. You know, the, if, if the kid is there for the right, re if you want him to be there for the interactions in the locker room, um, for the exercise, for trying something different, that's great. And that's a great sport. It's an unbelievable fun sport to be a part of. But if you're trying to help them excel and, and think how he can get to be a pro or a really, really high level, if they don't love it, they'll never do enough. And this is just hockey's example. It could be baseball, it could be the violin, you name it, in my opinion, um, is the passion has to be there. Otherwise, you just you just won't put enough time in compared to the next guy who doesn't even feel like they're really working. You know, they're just having fun as they're working. Right. Yeah, fun and fun enjoying the process, right, of, of getting better. And I think that's a... That is one of the coolest things that I like about being involved in kids that are passionate. You've already mentioned it in who you've seen on your teams, right? The ones that are keeners, the ones that are, you know, showing up every day and are enjoying being on the ice. Uh, I can definitely relate to that too. And then using, then we're allowed to use hockey as that platform to teach some of these great things, you know, like perseverance or resilience or teamwork or, I mean, all these great people, person traits, right? Because they have this thing that they love and they, they light up when they're, when they're going to, and they're playing. And now you can use that as a, as a tool. I, I heard one thing that was interesting. It said, uh, hockey or team sports teaches character. And then, and then there was like the counter argument that, well, no, I don't really think it does because it only teaches character. If, if the coach makes it about character, you know, if, if the coach makes that be kind of one of the first or second things that you're talking about and, and I think that's where you're going. That's and that's where I think the connection is there too. Because when you have that kid that wants to do well, wants to be a high performer, is passionate about the thing, now we can use it right to teach those character traits. That again, I'm going back to you because you wore, you wore that C so well. You know, you represented Canada so well, uh, represented your family so well that I, I assume that character must be a big thing on your hockey teams and, and within the four walls of your own home. Oh, thanks. No, I mean, I'm trying. Yeah, we're, we're trying. And, and uh, as a coach, uh, it's definitely a big responsibility. And, and, you know, and I do, you know, it also makes me appreciate growing up and how many good minor hockey league coaches I had, minor baseball, all the different sports I, I mentioned. And yeah, it's, uh, it's a responsibility and, and you want them to improve, uh, you know, in their skills and everything. But yes, you also want them to become better teammates to, to become better kids and learn things that, you know, will help them become better people as they grow up. And that's, um, I, I think the game teaches a lot about just being a part of it. So when I went back, just to go back a little bit is, um, yeah, like I love the elite side of hockey and trying to get better and, and, and do that. But it, it's still an amazing, wonderful sport, even if it's not just about trying to excel. It's just trying, to, my, my point was more as parents, let's, you know, let's enjoy that part of it. And if they love it and they, and, and you can kind of nurture it and, and that might come at different times. Like mm -hmm. our, uh, our one son loved it right away, loved it right away. Like yours, he said, and just wants to do it all the time. And our other was kind of lukewarm, you know, and, you know, but about nine years old, nine, 10 years old, he loves it too now, you know? And, and so we're lucky we stuck with it and they both love it, but it, you know, instead of just moving them out of it and finding something else, it, it, he was, you know, like I say, he could probably take or leave it a little bit or, and, and now he loves it. So we're happy we stuck with it. He's loving the sport. Um, but I, yeah, that's why I love sports in general and I love team sports. And I think even without a coach there, you can learn so many things from your teammates, being around them, the interactions, being uncomfortable, you know, as, as a, you know, as what I talk with our guys um, 
about, I coach a 14 year old team and a 12 year old team. And it's really the same thing is like, be a good teammate. It goes back to what I just said earlier is, is how would you want to be treated a teammate? If, you're, if your teammate makes a mistake, you know, and he doesn't see you on a pass, do you want to come back and he, you know, do you want yelling? Like, Oh, is that going to help him? Is that going to make him feel good? You know, like, or do you, how do you say it? How do you phrase it? You know what I mean? And how can you encourage him and pick a guy up? If you're, you know, five guys and there's another guy that maybe you're not as comfortable with and he's just sitting by himself. If you're going to do something, invite him. Wouldn't you want to be invited or do you want to have them just sit there? You know, so I think there's so many lessons. It would go on and on. And I'm sure you've, yeah. you've, you've already done so many of them, but mm-hmm. I love it. And I think it's a big part of life and whatever they go on to do later. Um, I think they can take that with them and, and interactions and, and learning and growing. And, and sometimes, as I'm sure you've seen, teammates can stop, you know, kids can start out as a tougher teammate and become a lot better one, you know, and then it helps them on the ice and, and, you know, they, kids grow, we all grow. Yeah, no, I agree. Uh, and I, I think that's great the way you're framing that too, because you mentioned your, your grandparents and your mom just saying good game, you know, like just kind of there for the love of the sport. And, and one thing that I recognize too is, is sometimes it becomes too serious too quick. And, and, and in the way that you're even talking about in the elite high performance, like, like my 11 year old is so worried about getting good. Like he really wants to get good that I have to constantly remind him, man, this is like fun. You're 11, you know, like you're, you're 11, go have a good time. Like enjoy it. Right. So again, like we're, you know, to, to make sure that we keep that in, in the, uh, not in the rearview mirror, but right in front of us, right. That this is, this is what it's supposed to be, which is a good time, right. You're supposed to enjoy your friends and enjoy the game and, and then, uh, you know, ha- have some fun with the skill, skill development too. But I think parents right now maybe need to, remind themselves of that as well, right? That this is supposed to be fun for these guys. It is, it is. And then like you say, it's, is that there's a whole bunch of different type of situations. You know what I mean? Like for you, the, your one son there, you said, it sounds like, uh, and my, my um, middle son, I have a daughter who is uh, uh, just turned 16. And then the two boys that are 14 and 12. Uh, so Tej is our middle, he's 14. Um, he has a similar attitude to what I think you said about your son is like, he wants to get really, really good. You know what I mean? Show me what I can do. I'll do it. Show me, come on, show me. So, you know, he can take a little bit more of the practice and you can kind of give him more. Um, and then others, you know, they're not all the same, you know what I mean? So uh, that's kind of the fun challenge we have as parents. That's like, you know, one doesn't, one size doesn't fit all. It's, it's uh, some need a little more, some need a little more encouragement. It's kind of like the thing as a coach, right? You don't yeah. teach, every, you don't treat every kid exactly the same. And um, it kind of sounds like, you know, in those, in the theory, oh, everybody should be taught, treated the same on a team. Well, no, they're not all the exact same personalities. Some like a kick in the butt, some you kick them in the butt. And then they're like, they don't want to play anymore. They have, they've lost all their confidence and they're like, you know, you can't. So right. uh, I think that's kind of similar with trying to nurture our, uh, our kids in their journey of, of what they like and, and their passion. And so, um, yeah, I think we're, it's, it's kind of getting to know your own kid and trying to be, you know, kind of look for certain signals and stuff to, you know, to make sure they're having fun. You mentioned, uh, kind of the blanket coaching philosophy. And I think that in our era, at least when we grew up, let's say like in junior and probably your first few years of pro, I, I would assume that you had coaches that were like that. I know that I sure did. It was like, you know, kind of a top down one size fits all type scenario. And the game seems to evolve a little bit that way. And I think much for the better, you know, to try and teach, you know, what, the, what makes everyone go, you know, I had, uh, I had one of your former coaches on here as a guest, Jared Bedner uh, with Colorado and, yeah, we talked quite quite at length about that 
now that you're a coach, it isn't seeing the game through a different lens. Like for sure, whether you're coaching 12 year olds or 14 year olds, it's different than being a player. Do you now looking back on your career, is there anybody like you, do you know now what type of coach like suited you well? Like how, 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 would, like how would Jerome, how would you get the most out of Jerome again as a coach? Like how, how would I, how would I approach you to get you to be a beast out there? <laughs> well, first of all, I, I, uh, I really liked Jared Bednar. I didn't have him long in Colorado one year and I, you could tell right away, he was a really, really good coach, you know, and, and uh, his communication skills, his intensity was like, you know, you knew when to dial it up and uh, you could see his passion. And uh, I really liked him. And uh, you could see how well their team is doing. And uh, they got a, a great young team and uh, uh, excited that he's, he's done so well. But he's one that re really, I was, you know, I got to play 20 years uh, in the NHL. It was a, a true blessing, fortunate for sure. Uh, and I had a lot of different coaches. And um, he was one that, you, you know, he just felt like this guy is uh, a really good coach and is going to do some really good things. Uh, uh, who would get... What would, what would, I think communication for myself as a player, uh, that was uh, really, really important. And I think one that I felt was fair. I didn't mind getting in trouble, but I didn't like, uh, um, it was kind of like the ones that, you know, if, if I wasn't going well and you told me I wasn't going well, I'm fine with that. But I don't want like, you know how some think like they can just kind of twist it. Even if you're, if you feel like you're playing hard and it's not working, you know, like, mm -hmm. I don't want to, you know what I mean? It's kind of like, you know, cause I, I really tried to push myself and it doesn't mean I would always do it, but I, I put, you know, we put pressure on ourselves as players and stuff. And, uh, you know, I, I should have been ready for that question. That was a good question. Um, communication, <laughs> communication. What else? Um, I really like so, so fair honest communication first, first and foremost. Right. So like, tell me, tell me straight, be honest. Yeah. Right. Just be honest and be and be straight. No games. One. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, that's that's one. And I also like I didn't mind if the coach was mad when we lost. And but when we won, I want them to be happy. I really liked if our coaches with our team, if we won a game, the whole purpose is to win a game. You don't have to be thrilled if we didn't play great, but I don't want to be getting in trouble or, you know, like and that's what now as a coach, you, you kind of have to find that fine line because the team might not have played as good as they could but if they still win there has to be some kind of enjoyment in that because that's the whole purpose in the end of it is to improve and win games right especially professionally it's really to win games so um i i didn't mind if they were upset when we lost because yeah we, we should be but i really some coaches weren't that happy it didn't seem or it didn't come across when we won and i really enjoyed the ones that enjoyed our wins and uh um and um but it's a hard one. It's, but I, I like that. And they also didn't treat everybody the same. So that's kind of a catch. You want it to be fair. So the rules apply to everybody. I think that's important. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, if uh, not special rules for people, but more that the communication could differ with, you know, with each guy. And, and, and they also, I would say number three <laughs> or number four, whatever I'm on, uh, <laughs> I would say rules. I, I really thought, especially in the NHL was so important for players to know their rules and to be um, appreciated for their rules, whether it's uh, PK, power play, tough guys, whatever it is, what you did for the team, what line you're on, if it's third, fourth, are you the energy guy? So that would go back to the communication. And one of the best coaches I've had, who was one of my favorite, um, not always at the time, but uh, Daryl Sutter, you know, I really, I really like Daryl Sutter and 
he was tough. He was tough and he would be owly. Um, but he was owly when he came to the rink because it came for a purpose, you know, and I see that now even more so is that that was time to turn it on, you know, and, and getting ready to compete. But he knew everybody on his team, I felt like, knew their role. And, um, you know, and, and if you were falling out of your role, he'd tell you, and then you might, you might be moving to a new role and somebody mm -hmm. might move up to another one. But it wasn't just some of the coaches just left it open. And then everyone, it almost seems like you're fighting for roles, you know, like right. everybody and no one's happy. No one, you don't feel good if you're a fourth liner because you want to get up to the third or second, but you feel good if you're a fourth line guy that's getting a pat on his back, that's doing the role that the coach said and you're and having success in it. You can find some, um, um, you know, you can, you, know, you feel good about it. So you're part of it. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, you're part of it. Uh, I've had a few guests on here that have spoken to that, you know, I mean, in, in those roles. Scott Nickel comes to mind. Uh, Brad Larson comes to mind. Like guys that were big pieces of their team, but they felt like big pieces in, in fourth, third line roles because the guys, the leadership group or the coaches made them feel like what they did for that team was enormous. You know, like that one hit was huge or that face-off win was amazing. And and if you're able to contribute and you're able to feel like that, then, yeah, you embrace that and you want to do it again the next game, right? So I can I can totally hear what you're saying there. The other thing I'll maybe add to that is given a role and then allowed to be able to step into it too, you know, like – it's one thing to be saying, hey, go score some goals for us. And then you're on a third line role and you're never getting on the power play or whatever. Right. And it's like, like that's held over your head. Like sometimes it's not fair too when they when they ask you to do something that's really not you're not able to because the environment you're in. But um, I totally agree with that, especially at the NHL level, like knowing something that you can hold on to with two hands and just say, yes, I'm going to embrace this and do as do as great as I can. I really think that that helps the team and, and coaches can make guys better. Is there, is there, a, you mentioned Daryl Sutter and I, you mentioned Owley. And I, I mean, for me, Brian Maxwell comes to mind about being Owley, like in Spokane. And I think there's a certain type of player that really responded to that. Um, and me, maybe not so much, like, cause I was more of a, like, I played better when I was dancing kind of sitting on the bench, you know, like that was, that's where my mo was. Um, whereas a Kevin Sawyer or a Jeremy Stasiak, you remember those names, like those guys, those guys, Brian McCabe, for instance, like Brian McCabe was a guest here and he said, yeah, like Max, he taught me to play with a burr up my ass. And when I had that burr, I was at my best, you know? Um, so like that's that type of philosophy, like really did work for some guys. And then me trying to play with a burr up my ass was like hard for me to do. Like I would still hit and fight because that's what I was about. But I didn't I wasn't like uh, if I played like this, I wasn't any good, you know? Um, did you see guys come through like with Daryl Sutter in that scenario that like just couldn't quite get on board with that scenario? Um, I mean, there's uh, lots of players that probably came through. We weren't uh, always the best team. So there's a lot of changeover yeah. then. Um, but no, I, I think what, he was a little bit different. And I think what made him really good. Yeah, for sure. There's some people that didn't love it, but I think he could recognize that and adjust a little bit on the fly with each guy, you know? So um, it would still appear to that, but then, you know, he might talk to that guy a little bit more away, you know, in the back room when they're just passing each other, you know, so some guys you would talk to more, some guys less, um, you know, and, and I thought he did a really good job of, um, cause when I really think about it at the time, we're not happy. I mean, we would get, we would get reamed out and he could go around and call you out and, and have something in the way you're not playing and, and some way to to get you fired up. But most guys that I played with that played for him, um, I think they appreciated it, appreciated what he did, you know, and, and yeah. his purpose. 
Um, and I, and I agree with you going back to what you said too. And that, and I thought he did, he, he was good. Like, yeah, if you're, if you're not playing any power play and you're not on that, then, you know, there's a different expectation, you know, you're not trying to live up to some unreal thing. And I thought he was really good at, uh, defining roles for people that were realistic that in their current situation, you know, and then, mm. and then, like I said, what, where it kind of seemed to fall apart sometimes was when, if those rules weren't defined by the coach, you don't want to tell a guy like, you know, he's playing seven minutes, six minutes. Hey, great game, man. Great game. You, you know, you're really, you know, he wants, if he doesn't feel like that's what he wants to be and that's not his role, then you don't know as a player, whether, you know, you can say great hit or, or, you know, but great block shot, but you can't really, you don't know if he's happy, if he's, you know what I mean? If he's embracing yeah. it. So, yeah. and then that's part of the coach and the management, I guess you find the guys that embrace it and, and whether they're young guys that are just happy to be there. Cause the fourth line rule isn't uh, an easy job. You know, I, I, uh, I got to see that near the end of my career and it also was good for me to appreciate, um, you know, you think you appreciate it as a player when you're on one of the, the top, lines it gets to go out more but to actually live it it's a lot harder job to to be effective and to stay into it and to to not squeeze your stick and to go out there and, and play free and loose and to be able to feel like you can make some errors you don't really feel like that and and uh no. it's a much different role uh and i as much as i wish i never you know it was hard it was like tough to go through right near the end of my career as far as you want to be out there and you want to be in the game and, and i'm not i wasn't used to it uh, it was really, really good for me and in, in that uh, uh, it helped me get a greater understanding and appreciation for um, uh, of another role on a, on a team. And, and uh, which, I, like I say, I thought I did and you appreciate it, but man, it's, yeah. it's, it's a little bit tougher. Yeah, until you're doing it. I, uh, as you're talking about uh, Sutter there, he, I saw a coach's conference with him and, and he made me laugh that somebody, somebody in the crowd asked, you know, what's the key to being a great coach? And he's like, well, I was... The years I was a best coach, he said I had Mika Kiprasov and Jonathan Quick. <laughs> <laughs> so in other words, he's like, find me a good goalie and I'll show you a good coach, he said. So um, anyways, it was, it was a pretty great, I mean, humble and, and, uh, and, and funny, funny response he gave. I thought that was pretty good. And I'm sure you saw that firsthand with Kipper that year. You guys had such amazing success there going, going on that run that you did. That was pretty wild. Oh, yeah. Yeah, for sure. Just what it, what, what, a, you know, for the confidence and for the, the lift of a bench and, and really for how they can take over a game a goalie can yeah it was it was a pleasure to get to play with them for sure powerful position in, in, in hockey you talk about the end of your career let's we haven't even gotten to, to uh, Kamloops yet is, is and looking at your career just from a hockey db standpoint and watching like it it seems like maybe and correct me if i'm wrong like was your 16 year old year in Kamloops even though you won the cup as a team you know i had amazing success but the six goals, you know, and the 29 points and probably didn't get a bunch of ice time and you're away from home and you're going through these things. Was that like a tumultuous year for Jerome again? Was that, was that one of the tougher ones when you look back on, on everything? Oh, it was very hard. It was a very hard year. Um, yeah. So 15, I, I uh, played up at, uh, at midget and, um, you know, minor hockey, you know how it is. You're used to scoring goals and everybody really goes to WHL and, and does well. They probably did really well in minor hockey, you know, and, and so, yeah, I was no different and had a really good year, 15 the year before uh, playing midget and, and, you know, scored goals and, and, and points and stuff. And then you go there and you get to play on the power play. You go there. I went to Kamloops um, and I got to play. I think I got to play all the first 10 games in minor hockey. You play all the games, you know, it's, <laughs> we have a game today. Great. You show up, you, you suit up, you play, go there. And it's like, uh, 
I, I'm pretty sure I played most of the ga games in the first seven or eight or something like that. And then all of a sudden you start sitting out and they're like, your game time, you're like, you're not playing today. You're like, what you? it was like shocking. Like, what do you mean? It, it was so hard to watch the team play. And I only played 48 of our 72 games and we had a really good team. Uh, you know, we did win the Memorial cup that year. Uh, so it was a really, really good team, but you know, like playing on the fourth line, in, in Kamloops, uh, you know, as a, and play 48 out of 72, really tough on the confidence, but literally I look back and the, the rotation that Don A had, and he was a really good coach too. And he helped me a ton. Um, but the rotation had was the first 10 minutes you play, uh, uh, one shift in the period, second 10, you get another shift. So two, two shifts in the first period, two shifts in the second period and the third, it depended how it went. So, uh, if it was, uh, if we were, I'd get one in the beginning of the third period for my fifth shift. And in the last 10 minutes, if we were winning lots, I'd get a regular shift. So maybe two, maybe, you know, maybe get three. And if you were losing or, or a close game, you get no more shifts. So five shifts. So there's lots of games. I'd get five shifts, not play. Um, yeah. I remember, I remember sitting in the, in the, in the, I was really mad and, and just, you know, just thinking like, you know, should I, should I be here? You know, like, is this, uh, and I remember Don Hay talking to me and he said, it's not really based. It's not based on how your play is. We, we have to develop all the players. Um, we have a really good team, you know, come playoffs. Uh, uh, we'll play the guys we, you know, who are playing, but right now we got to continue because there were 16 year olds who were here before you and they're 17 and they need to keep playing. And that's part of their system. And so I, I could respect that, but yeah, it was, it was really, really challenging uh, being away from home. Uh, we, you know, you remember how the buses like, you sit up, we'd have our closest trip. My first year would be five hours to Seattle and uh, from Kamloops and, and you, you play the same day and on the way home, maybe from Spokane is a seven hour, six, whatever it was. And you sit up, we, we had to sit in one seat like this and you go through the mountains and then you have to get up and go to school at eight in the morning and you get home at seven. So man, it was a really, really tough, tough year. Uh, it turned out really good in the end. We won, but it, it was good for me. It made me tougher. And, I did get better uh, as the year went on because I got to practice with all those guys and we got to practice every day as opposed to minor hockey. You know, we were having two hour practices five days a week or four days a week, whatever it was. So, um, sorry, that was a long one about it, but yeah, it was, no. it was a trying year. Hey, they're just going to take a short break from the conversation with Iggy. Uh, to one in the intro, I forgot to mention there was a few technical difficulties in this in this interview. Jerome ended up having the interview on his phone instead of his computer. His phone didn't have full battery power. We had to switch. His headphones, I think, gave him problems at one point. I think uh, the internet was a little bit unstable. So we tried to take care of most of that in post-production. If there is a little bit of stuff in, in here that you've witnessed, I apologize for that. Uh, but uh, I knew that the content of the conversation was 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 too good not to produce. So I uh, wanted to make sure I mentioned that, a little bit of housekeeping there. Also wanted to mention that if you are loving the podcast, to of course, please share, talk to your friends about it and review as my, uh, that's sort of my constant ask. And if you want to follow me more, I'm available at upmyhockey.com. I've uh, just released uh, a program, two programs for players, also uh, a subscription format for, for parents along with their players to take part in. 
uh, that I'm really proud of. Uh, that was released at the beginning of November. So check that out if you're interested in that. And uh, now we'll get you back to the interview with Jerome McGinley. But I think that's um, because, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I think adversity is an interesting thing. And we do talk about it a lot here on the podcast because when we're in it, we want to avoid it. You know, like we're resisting it, right? We don't want it to be there. You know, I mean, there's all types of, I'm sure, uh, inner dialogue you're having. Like you said, am I even in the right spot? Why doesn't he like me? You know, maybe getting mad. But then usually if we get through it, like it's something that actually galvanizes us as a person and it's something that like made, made us stronger, like you said, and it ends up being a good thing for you. Was there any, like, were you, were you calling home during that time? What was, or was like Don Hay kind of a, a good enough sounding board to, to keep you on the even keel or where did you turn at, at, uh, at that point? Well, I definitely talked to my mom and I talked to my grandpa and, and uh, you know, my, uh, my dad and, um, yeah, they were very supportive and, and, you know, just to, to stick it out. But I think if I really wanted to come home, they probably would have let me come home. You know, um, I, I definitely, I remember driving to school one day thinking, you know, and literally we get off the bus without question. I mean, seven in the morning, you unpack the bus, all the rookies unpack the bus. Everyone else goes home and goes to sleep. If they don't have to go to school, we got to be at school at eight o'clock or eight 20. You might've slept two hours. We're used to sleeping. Uh, it was tough. And I remember driving, I remember literally exactly where I was driving to school going, I don't know if I'm going to make it two more years of this, you know, cause I had 16 and 17. Um, but I did. And, you know, going back to it, you asked about communication. It was good that Don Hay came and told me that it wasn't based on my play. You know, he didn't just let me sit and, and stew about it and fester. And I was mad. I remember, I think I was actually in Spokane too, when he came up and we talked about it in the stands. Um, and, you know, he explained that it wasn't, unfortunately really based on my play and you know not saying I would have played all the time it was a very good team um you know Shane Doan uh, Darcy Tucker um Ryan Huska Nolan Baumgartner first rounder Nat Domichelli played like there's so many guys that played in the NHL Steve Passmore um it's Jason yeah. Strudwick Jason Holland um yeah. you know what I mean it was like Scott Ferguson I don't know if I said him already there's so many guys Brad Lukowicz you know like so it was a really really good team and it was great for me but it was a challenge like you say that looking back, it was way better for me than it felt at the time. And it was good mm -hmm. to get through it because I definitely got tougher mentally. And uh, um, coming from minor hockey where it's it's all fun and you you know, couldn't imagine playing five shifts in a game. You know, parents are almost, we're almost complaining if our kid isn't playing five shifts in the first half of the game or 10 minutes of the game, you know? So mm -hmm. um, it was a great adjustment. It was a, a really good experience that was tough to go through for sure. Yeah, and it's one of those ones too, like even reflecting on it. I mean, of course, for you reflecting on it now, and I mean, two Memorial Cups in, in where you were in 20 years in the NHL and everything else, obviously, it, it's like, yes, that was a good thing. But I mean, it could have maybe for a different person not been a good thing. And maybe a year of minor hockey might have been where you should have been and been a power play guy and, you know, having the more touches and, and being more dominant, right? And I think that's one of the things that parents struggle with now. Uh, is trying to make that decision. You know, I know, I know Stacy Roost here, assistant general manager with Tampa Bay Lightning and develop, uh, director of player personnel for them too. He's a big believer in confidence. You know, and we sp I've spoken to him a lot about it. He says it's really hard to, to get, but it's really easy to lose. And he has a really talented son too. And he's from the mindset of like, nah, I don't want him to go really to that next step until he's a top six forward. Like I'd rather have him be a top six and play somewhere else. And uh, I just, I mean, I don't think that there's really a right or wrong. And I think it is an individual thing, uh, but it is an interesting thing to talk about because I, I, 
I can see both sides of that coin, right? Like that might have ruined somebody potentially being five shifts a game, you know, but for you, it, it made you stronger. You came back that next year and got drafted 11th, uh, 11th overall. So obviously didn't hurt you too much. Um, and, and being around winning matters too, I think. I mean, that's the other thing. Like being a part of that organization probably is different than maybe being a part of the Victoria Cougars in that same scenario and getting five shifts a game and never winning or whatever the case may be. So I think, I think that probably uh, had a, well, it had to have a positive effect on you just being in that winning culture. It did. And, and it was, like I say, it wasn't tough. And if I look back, I mean, it was very tough, but looking back, it was so good. And, and it wasn't just good for me. Like, you know, the guys before me, Shane Doan went through it, you know, like literally we'd share the Darcy Tucker went through it, you know, like um, all those guys I mentioned for the most part, they all went through it. They didn't, they all had to come in and pay their dues. And that was because they were such a strong, you know, successful organization winning the Memorial Cups. I think, you know, they won three and four years. Tyson Nash was, you know, did it there too. And so, and he was in there, we were all in the same situation and we all played and we went on further. So I can hear the argument, but it was probably, it was good for us. You know what I mean? And we might've been successful, you know, hopefully we would have been in a different way, but you know, in another situation and had fun playing all the time, but getting to compete hard against each other, getting to earn our ice time. We had to go to school. Some organizations didn't make, make kids get up and go to school, you know, they'd let them sleep in and they wouldn't, you know, some, unfortunately, some of the kids didn't graduate because of those types of situations, but it made you tough. And, um, you know, having to go to school and be fined on our little paycheck that we get $50 every two weeks, you know, if you were, if you were late or you didn't go, um, it made you, it made you develop some really good work habits. And, uh, um, you know, coming back at 17, when I'd see other kids who, who waited and then come at 17 um, guys I played with that were, you know, pretty good players. Now they had to go through that adjustment in their draft year. And, and all of a sudden we felt like, Oh man, we've been through a lot, you know, uh, fortunate, fortunate that year we played a hundred games as a team with going to the Memorial cup and winning it. Um, so, you know, by playoffs, I had 48 games and then in the playoffs, maybe you play 30 or something. So, or whatever that is, you know what I mean? 20, 20 some. So it's a still a long season. Um, but I think it's, I think it, it was a great development model in a different way, as opposed to giving everything, you know, you really had to earn it and you really, really appreciated it when you got it. You know yeah. what I mean? It was like, we got. I got you cut out. Oh, sorry. You cut out oh. from you just a little bit there. So I, I lost the last little bit of it, but, uh, anyways, got you back now. No, that's, uh. I appreciate you saying that. I mean, it sounds like, you know, and what, what you're, what we're learning there the whole time is accountability too, right? Like that you being accountable to something greater than yourself and like knowing that you had to get there, you had to earn every, every shift that you were doing. I mean, there's something to be said for that. If we go back to your draft year, Iggy, um, it's funny. Cause you know what year I remember of you, I remember your last year, like the year that we played world junior, like in my head, right. I remember the, the, again, like that scored a goal a game, like the playoffs and in regular season and had the 130 point year. I don't remember your draft year as well. The year you got 71 points and 33 goals. Like obviously that's a good year, but it's not, it's not a fantastic year stat stat wise, you know, like how, how, what do you remember from that year? And do you, did you feel like you were kind of firing on all cylinders or was it, I mean, how, how did how did you rate that year for yourself going as high as you did? Uh, no, no, it was still like I came back and like I said, I was excited to to get to play and, and really appreciate to get a regular shift. And 
Um, I got in my first five games as a 17 year old, I got a goal a game. So I only had six year before. So I was pretty pumped. I got to five already in five games <laughs> and then I went on some cold streak, you know? Yeah. So it was still a challenge. We had a, we, we had a really, really good team. It was still a, uh, a challenge and ups and downs and, and, uh, um, you know, is, uh, but it, it kind of, oh, I remember actually, sorry, I was trying to, I'm just trying to think back to it. And, uh, the, so the beginning of the year, that was 17. I got to actually go to uh, play on the under uh, 18 team with, uh, team Canada. And we, we went to Mexico and we played there and that was a good, that was a good confidence boost to get the chance to play with, that was the first time you get to play with kids right across Canada. Yeah. You know what I mean? So, um, it was great there. Uh, as far as that, we played in Mexico. There's only four teams, Russia, U S Japan, and us. And uh, we won it there. And um, so that was neat to see kids right across Canada and see where you are, see where guys, and that's also where the draft rankings come out, you know? And uh, I remember seeing it in like, I think Redline had me at like 14th and I was pretty excited, you know, 14th overall. And and then uh, central scouting had me quite a, quite a ways down. And it was like, I was like, uh, you know, probably projected third rounder, but then also, didn't uh that was member they didn't include european so it was like yeah. i don't know it turns into a fifth rounder so it was like i was all over the map where right. where my draft uh would be so um and it gets in your head i remember that getting in my head during my my uh 17 year old year and you try not to think about it the draft rankings come out you fall you move up and i was always pretty low in central scouting and you're and you want to be i really really wanted to be a first round pick um but you know so much is out of your control and you just try to work hard, but it's hard as a 17 year old kid and that, that, uh, that the pressures, but fortunately being on an, a really good team with guys that were drafted in the first round of the same year, uh, you know, donor was going through the same thing. So I could, uh, talk to him about it and, and watch him. He's a year older, uh, with a late birthday. So to me at that age, you know, he was more mature and stuff. So I could like lean on him a little bit for, uh, I'm more mature now than he is, but, uh, <laughs> the, uh, back then he was more mature and, uh, uh, I, you know, I could lean on him and we could talk about it on the bus, but it was, yeah, it's a big adjustment. And, um, fortunately, you know, it's a little bit up and down, but I think I also got some good exposure by playing with the Blazers and we went on to win another Memorial cup and, uh, you know, had a, had a good playoffs and uh but still when it came um came draft time my pick was you know it was kind of like anywhere i could go for anywhere from like 11th to the second round to you know like it wasn't the people were all over the map as far as uh what they i guess they saw me as a player sure did you which is interesting because the contrast for you and i right because at 16 with spokane i had 36 goals right so i had a really good finish and like having this really kind of you know a, a big breakout year and uh and played in the same thing like we went to, to japan for ours with that under 17 team and like got to play with jeff o'neill and you know yeah. the, these guys right and, and see, see kind of where you stuck uh, stood out J jason bond senior was there for the u.s and like that was the first international stage to kind of see the pecking order and then going into my draft year I ended up scoring 29. So like pretty close to you, like 33, but it was less than I scored my 16 year old year. Right. And, and, and yeah, you started seeing your name fall on the board. Right. Now you're starting to feel those pressures. And, you know, did you, like, I definitely, for me personally, 29 was like, I wouldn't, if you had asked me before the season started, like what I would have, how many goals I would have scored, I wouldn't have said that. And I would have been disappointed. You know, I thought, I thought I was going to get more. Did you have a number in your head going in there like that you wanted to attain to or try to get to? 
Um, yeah, I did on my, you know, it's kind of funny because I was on the, uh, I remember on the bus, I think we were at the Memorial cup and, uh, we were all on the bus as a team and it was in Montreal Laval that year. Uh, mm. so 16 year old year I was on the, um, and I remember, uh, you know, the regular season was over. I don't remember if we just won our, but I remember Bob Brown was there and I don't know if someone asked me, one of the players or was like, what do you think you'll get? And, you know, as the goals and he was, uh, and it was a bus that was kind of like a transit bus. So, you know, you're all in there and, you know, yeah. of course, as rookies, we're up, uh, we're up with the management and the coaches, right. <laughs> you know, and all the other guys are in the back, but we're with them. And he, I remember him looking over and goes, I think you'll get 30 goals. And I remember what a big boost that was for me. Like, you know, I went, I had six, you know yeah. what I mean? And right. like, that was like, Whoa, you really think so? And, and, uh, what did I, I guess, uh, what did I get? 31, 33, I guess. 33. 33. Yeah. 33. Um, but uh, am I losing you? Can you hear me? So we're going to have a quick cut here because we went down. The conversation went dark for about five minutes between Iggy and I. Uh, he had some technical difficulties with the device he was using and his headphones. Uh, but then we got all uh, ramped back up and, uh, and pressed play and continued on with the story with, uh, with Bob Brown. So now back to the interview. So you're just... Um... So we're just come back here. Iggy had a little bit issues with, uh, with with some technical problems there. So, anyways, uh, you you were just telling us about Brownie giving you kind of the pat in the back, saying, "I think you're I think you're going to get 30. Yeah, yeah. And I remember on the bus there where he told me that, and it was a huge boost because coming from six goals, um, I had no idea. I mean, I I didn't even know. I remember someone asked. It, it was another player, you know, like is that a little cocky to say 30? Like, I don't know if I would have said 20, you know what I mean? I don't, you're going from six, like what really, how am I? Uh, so it was cool when he said that it gave me a ton of, ton of confidence and yeah, I ended up with uh, 33, but it wasn't like a smooth sailing year still. It was still uh, a big adjustment getting ready, you know, for the draft and dealing with pressure and um, you know, putting that pressure on. And, uh, but I was in a, I was in a really good situation. Like I say, where, with a lot of guys who'd been through it before, gotten drafted. Nolan Baumgartner was drafted the year before me in the first round. Nat Don McKelly was drafted in the third. Um, lots of guys drafted, so you can kind of go through it and, and learn from them. And lots of really good leaders like Ryan Huska and Jarrett Dooling and, you know, Darcy Tucker was an older guy there that, you know, and he he was a competitive, good leader in that sense and, and uh, fiery. And, um, you know, it was one of those things that it was a really – really good situation to get to be a part of as a 16 year old and, and was huge in, in development and helped me 16, 17 and, and 18. But how about you? You were saying uh, you had 30, 30 some as a 16 year old. Yeah. 36 as a 16 year old. That's was, crazy. Uh, That's cool. Well, it was crazy. Yeah, it was crazy. Cause I don't remember the name Scott Townsend. He was, he, I was a third line center at the time. So I wasn't, I wasn't on the fourth line. So I was getting regular, I was getting regular shift. You know, I wasn't getting power play time though. I was a 16 year old. And I think I had, I don't know, I'd have to do the math and I can't do it right now in my head, but having an okay 16-year-old season, then Scott Townsend broke his jaw and uh, and I got moved up into into his spot. So I was then became second line center and started playing power play and just like the planets aligned and the stars aligned. And it was, I had like, I think I had 19 goals in my last 17 games or something, you know, like it was, That's it cool. was like yeah. something nuts, right? That I was just kind of blew up. And uh, and yeah, which set the stage for a, for a draft year that maybe I wasn't quite prepared for, especially with the ups and downs of it. You know, like to 
high expectations, right? Like needing, feeling like you need to do better than you did the year before, uh, run into some ice time issues and, and some, and some, and finding it hard to get on the ice. And anyways, it's tough. It's tough at that age. You know I mean? You went through it, obviously, you know, it, it, it's hard. Things are going well sometimes and it feels good and things aren't going well and it's, it's not feeling so good. And, uh, and you know, that there's a lot riding on that number that, that you get beside your name come draft time. Right. It's, uh, it, oh, it means, sure. it definitely means something. Uh, we, we, I wouldn't do this podcast justice. If we don't talk about the world junior. Cause I mean, that was a real special time for us, uh, coming together there in Boston. It was a real Western heavy team, which I think we were kind of all a little bit proud of in our own way. You know, we all knew each other and we had all kind of battled against each other and then to win gold there. And that was, in my opinion, I don't know, I don't want to put words in your mouth because you haven't said that, but to me, that was like your coming out party. Like you had an amazing season that year. I mean, a goal a, goal a game season, but you you did some special things that tournament and, uh, and did some special things for that team. Uh, was that, did you leave there going, hey man, like, I don't know. I, I, I yeah. Did, did you feel a little different about yourself leaving leaving that tournament? Yeah, yeah. It was it was a great experience, and you know, confidence. I guess confidence. Um, you know, I thinking back, and yeah, it's a big. You said it. You said it's a big part of all players, and it was. It was. You know, I battled it. You know, through my whole career, and I imagine most guys do. You know, you you wonder really does McDavid battle confidence? You know what I mean? Or Crosby? Do they really? And I'll bet you even they do just a little bit, but. Um, you just on some days they shouldn't really right you'd say why but <laughs> but the rest of us yeah so um, yeah I remember I also remember getting going to the summer camp of the world juniors and um, I remember we were what did we, it was out in Montreal or somewhere out, mm -hmm. out east when when uh, we went to that July camp and that was pretty cool to get uh, an invite to that to be there with some of the top Canadian kids uh, you know 1918 uh, a couple 17 year olds, you know, from all across Canada and actually to be in that mix, you know what I mean? So I, I just gotten drafted. Uh, so that was good. I was excited. It was a thrill. Uh, but now to be there on that ice with those guys. And I remember going, you know, to a couple sessions, uh, you know, one, I don't know if it was one or two. And uh, I was walking back uh, with Marcel Como as a coach. And, uh, and he called me, he, 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 he was talking to me. He goes, you know, I thought, I thought you would you'd have a little more. You know, then that that first day, I'm like, oh my god, really? I thought I was pretty. I thought it was all right, you know. And I was just trying to, you know, you're almost just trying to fit in. And my confidence wasn't really to try to, to, you know, to really just, you know, I didn't know if I'd excel there or whatever. So yeah. I remember him saying that. He goes, yeah, let's see if we can get a little more. I thought it'd be a little bit, you know, and um, and, and it, it kind of lit a fire under me. And I think I had a better next day. It was just, I think I had one more session. And I think he did say to me after all that was, I was better. Uh, he didn't say it was awesome or anything. He said it was better or something, but um, that goes back to that communication. You know, I, I think as a coach and you think back to the coaches and the different times that they talk to you, it's so important. And, uh, you know, he could have said nothing, which would probably be easier, right? And just see how I respond. But I'm, I'm thankful he did because it made me expect a little more out of myself, push myself and not just try to fit in out there. And I'm not saying I was like unbelievable out there or anything like that, but it was still big that, there was a little higher expectation out of me. You know what I mean? As, as far as he's going to talk to me, that's the coach. I'm just another guy there, but he wants to see a little more because he, he thought he, there was a little more there, you know? Yeah. So um, that was a, a nice move by him. It was really helpful for me. And uh, when we did get to world juniors, yeah, like you say, that was a ton of fun. And it was like, 
Um, you know, we, 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 being a Western coach, we definitely had our uh, Western contingent there uh, representing a eh, from the WHL, but yeah. we, uh, it was, it was, it was, uh, it was a really cool tournament. You, you grow up getting to see that as uh, kids and watching everybody else at uh, Christmas time. And, and, you know, we got all those faxes and everything. And yeah. um, like you say, it was a big, big experience for me though, because I also got traded in the NHL at that camp. And uh, I remember it was just after we used to get those phone calls in the morning, you know, if you're cut or not. So it wasn't, it was after the team was already made, but I got a call bright and early in the morning. I was at the hotel and it was Marcel Como saying, um, you want to let me know that I've been traded. And I was like, oh, and my first thought, no word of a lie. My first thought is Kamloops, you know, like I really enjoyed Kamloops and we've had, we want to, and you know, and like, and he's like, Calgary. Like, oh, oh, really? You know, like, I just didn't even think I'd be on an NHL radar in that kind of sense. And yeah. uh, um, so it was different. It was different getting traded, though. It was like, uh, um, you know, in one sense, it's a compliment that, you know, uh, the Calgary Flames, I was part of uh, Joe Newendike trade. And, you know, he was obviously a great player and, and rolling. And, and uh, it was uh, Corey Millen and myself. And, uh for him and and I was a, a young prospect and Calgary was going to be rebuilding. So, but one side, it was a nice compliment, but at the same time, you're like the Dallas, you know, did they not like what they see? Did they not, you know what I mean? So you yeah. have to try to deal with that as a, as a teenager. And, um, you know, I did talk to Bob Gainey, um, you know, and he said, no, you know, that, but uh, that it was, they're going for it. They're an older team. And, and uh, you know, he, he was really nice and, and stuff like that. So it made me feel a little bit better, but, um, you know, and then I talked to, you know, Calgary and, and, uh, you know, they were, they were really uh, um, excited and going to be real building. And, and it was a great opportunity. And, you know, I did get to, to play and, and uh, be a part of it uh, uh, early, but it was a little bit different, but then going into world juniors, there's pressure, right? There's pressure that you have to deal with because now people are talking about who someone just got traded or, you know, again, they, they don't, they didn't usually pronounce my name right, but, uh, <laughs> you know, I can't blame them. It's a little different, uh, but it was like, there was some pressure in the tournament. So very, very thankful that uh, I got to play on a great line uh, with uh, Damon Lankow, you know, great player, um, great junior player, great player in the NHL. Um, you know, I got to play with him and Nat Don McKelly familiarity. We had already played in Kamloops together. And then, you know, Baumgartner was there, Jason Hong. Uh, so lots of, guys that made it easier and then like you say I knew you and, and guys that we knew so it made it the familiarity was so nice uh because it I did feel like there was a lot of pressure on the tournament just playing for Canada but also yeah. being part of that trade and, and trying to you know show Calgary that they didn't you know <laughs> and right. the fans wondering who this is and oh my god what just happened you know yeah that was one of those interesting trades too you know I mean now being like a fan and historian of it because I mean, Dallas won a cup essentially. As that that trade had something to do with that cup that they won. Uh, I think no one in the world would say that Calgary wouldn't make that trade again. But I wonder if Dallas would. You know, like I bet you they probably wouldn't. You know, like you, you came on so fast there, and we're and we're a force quite quickly, right? It's it's interesting. But that was kind of a win-win, I suppose. You know, Dallas got their cup. They were they were looking for some some older depth scoring and, and, and they got what they wanted. And then obviously Calgary got an amazing player and yourself for a long time there. And now your jerseys in the Raptors there, which is super, super amazing. Um, no, uh, no, I think I, it's an interesting one. And, and I've, you know, been asked that and thought about it, but 
I think, yeah, I think they do it again. It's, um, you know, and, and Joe Neuendijk ended up being, uh, I believe he was a Conn Smythe winner, wasn't he? The, yeah. They won it, right? So he was a huge part of it. They, I think that's their only cup to date right now. Obviously, this year they were really close. So that's pretty special. You get that opportunity, and uh, they've been a strong organization. But it also gave me a chance to, to play as a young guy in, in opportunities that, who knows if you get them, you know, if you get them right. as many that early and stuff. So, um, no, it was, point. you know. That's a great point. Like where you land matters, you know, too. You know, I talked with Redsy Wade Redden and he said, you know, in Ottawa there, like that was a gift kind of to be there at a team that was really rebuilding because he knew like they had to have him on that team almost as the young guy. And he knew that as, as he was making mistakes that he was going to go back out on the ice again. And he's like, you know, you go to a big different organization that maybe has more depth and they don't have to have you in the lineup. Like you maybe you don't get you're not allowed as much rope, I guess, you know, and you have to you play a little tighter and all this other stuff. So it could oh, work. For sure. I remember I remember Al Coates who, who traded for me and, and talking to me and, and going into camp and my before I went in my first year, you know, there wasn't like I was gonna have a really good opportunity to play there, you know what I mean, as a nineteen year old. And I had a tough camp. Like I, I didn't I didn't score I think I played nine preseason games and, and I didn't get one goal. I think I had maybe had a couple assists in my last game. Like it was like tough. It was a big adjustment at first. And who knows, right? If you're, that gave me a chance to have another look, you know, and, mm -hmm. and uh, I had a good start as a rookie, but I don't know if I would have gotten that. So, you know, everything works out the way, the way it's supposed yeah, to, you know, sure. I guess. And, um, speaking of, so getting in your, the foot in the door, right. And that was something, you know, that, on a personal level that I struggled to feel like I was belonging there, you know, to get through that headspace of like, now I'm on NHL ice and I am an NHLer. And uh, when did that happen for you? It was like, you know, it was at some point in your rookie year where you felt that you were an NHLer or, or in that you belong there, or was that, a, was that not as hard of a transition for you? No, it was a very hard transition for me. It was. Um, um, and I, I think it goes like we keep saying that confidence piece. And I was going to tell you earlier when you said, I'm like, wow, well, it was a confidence. I, I like more thinking back to it. I don't always think back on, you know, till we get in these discussions and it keeps coming up. And yeah, the confidence was huge. And, and I got off to a good start as a rookie. I got, you know, some good bounces. We had a, uh, we weren't a bad team in Calgary. We were right in the playoffs, right until we, we got eliminated with like a game left. So only our last game of the season was like when we weren't actually eliminated so we were in the hunt the whole year uh, we had some really good players you know Theo was there and uh, Steve Chason and um, you know Zara Zalapsky and you know Dave Gagne like we had a good team it was it was uh, um, we were in the mix but I remember thinking how strong these guys were you know like going um, going up the ice and like when someone would get a hold of you it was in that clutch and grab area era, era it was like you couldn't get away you know and, and I just compared to junior when you're by the time you're older you're playing against younger players um you know you can kind of use your muscle and you can you can try to out muscle them and I was getting out muscled everywhere and and like if they got a hold of me like Darren Hatcher in the corner or Matthachuk is like I was going nowhere you know so I remember thinking like man they're so strong everyone and it was it was a big adjustment uh and my rookie year wasn't wasn't bad at the end of the year so I got off to a good start um, but my last 17 games, I don't know why. I don't know if you get tired or whatever. I had 21 goals. Um, I remember getting two goals in my last game. I, it was actually, I think it was against Dallas to get to 21 from 19. Now, you know, it was like feeling good. And I, I had 48 points and um, it was, and then in my last 17 games, I got no goals. 
nothing, you know, and then, and then uh, I did get two points, I think in like my last game to get to, to 50, but in my head, I was going to 60, 70, maybe 30 goals, you know, keep going. And, and it just stopped pretty abruptly, you know, and um, it carried into the next, well, it didn't really carry next year. I got injured in my uh, sophomore year. Um, so I had, uh, I hurt my hand just on a hit. I got hit into the boards and it just kind of the glove caught and it just, uh, broke a bone in my uh, hand and I missed uh, a decent amount of games and I only scored one goal in the year after. So I had 12 and then I got one. So I ended up with 13. It was a pretty tough year and we weren't very good that year. We were rebuilding for sure. A lot more pressure on everyone. New coach, uh, Pierre Paget was there in my rookie year and, um, you know, it, uh, uh, he gave me great opportunities and uh, it was a fun year all the way around. Some great veterans, lots of rookies that I grew up with there. And hmm. uh, the next year, going into a rebuilding year was tougher. It was um, a lot more like new coach, uh, Brian Sutter came and, um, you know, it was just a tougher year to get the, and then the confidence, it was tough. It, it was about long answer, but it took, it took years to actually feel like, you know, I, I belonged in the NHL and, and, right. and there's times I didn't think I would be a goal scorer in the NHL for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I was looking at that second year and I was wondering that too, because I mean, I know that you're, you've mentioned Shane Doan's name a couple of times and, you know, I, I interviewed Danny Briere on this show once and he's really good buddies with, with, with Donor and, and talked about Donor like getting, I mean, being sent down at one point after, after being in the NHL for two years, you know, and then kind of having to come up and obviously, I mean, he, he had a phenomenal career himself there, but it, it was all filled with adversity at the start. You I mean, you never played a game in the AHL, so you never had to go down there, but did you ever think that maybe in that second year that that could, could have been on your radar? Um, yeah, yeah. And they talked about it kind of like the third year when I went back in my third year in the, you know, uh, Brian Sutter maybe mentioned it a little bit or, you know, I don't know if it was a, a threat, but it was probably a real possibility. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, I didn't want to go down and I, you know, like, um, and then, you know, the third year is like, you're, you're putting a ton of pressure now. Like it's like to try to try to get in, try to solidify myself as an NHL player. And I remember thinking like, you know, I don't, I, I think I could do it. I, I mean, I, I thought I, I believed I could be an NHL player. I was already an NHL player, but earn that spot. But I didn't know if I'd be able to earn that um, spot as a goal scorer. You know, yeah. like I definitely had some doubts. Uh, and um, I remember wondering that. And, um, you know, I remember like, you know, I, I remember praying like, Lord, you know, thanks that I got here. And, you know, it's been great. I'd like to keep, I didn't want to go to the minors. You know what I mean? I didn't want to go. And, and uh, it's all right if I'm not going to you know, be a goal scorer. Thanks for helping me get here. And then I think I went on a tear <laughs> and that, and that, uh, and I, and I, and, and I got gained some confidence and, and I got to 28 that year, which was a, a big boost for me, but I, I think I had a slow start and, and picked up and um, it started coming together and, and uh, you overthink things. You, you know how it is. You just, you burn all your energy before you get to the game. You know, you're like thinking of, you know, how you need to feel perfect and, and, you know, the stress and, and trying to live on your own as a, as a, you know, with your, your, you know, I lived with two other players, but nobody was, you know, I had great billets and cam loops and stuff and nobody's making me dinners. And am I eating right? Am I sleeping right? All that stuff. It's a big adjustment. And um, it started to come together. I guess maybe I matured and, and got some breaks and all that stuff. But uh, yeah, I was very thankful that it did. Cause I, I do think I was close to, to going to the minors and who knows what that path is. And it worked for donor. And then he obviously, uh, what a great, but it, some guys that it, it's, it, it can be a, a big change. 
Was there a point when you, like, once you got there, it almost seems like you stepped into that all-star, you know, wasn't that too many years after that, that you ended up scoring 50 and were recognized as one of the game's best players. Is there ever, like, a light switch moment where you realize that you're one of those guys that, you know, kids have a poster of on their wall and, like, you're one of the stars of the game? Like, was there, did you ever feel, like, the arrival into that stratosphere? Uh, no, I don't, I don't think you ever get, like, not really uh, getting 50 was pretty cool that that was one that like there you know i think that year it was only um so that was cool because i saw a lot of guys i looked up to that was a pretty that was a very special year um that was the olympics 2002 uh and that year obviously now again it was confidence <laughs> i wish i knew i knew and then what i did i would i would uh do more uh um uh more focus on that uh that mental side hey but uh um are you there, Pods? Yeah, I can hear you. Oh, okay. You froze. You froze there, so I wasn't oh, okay. sure if it was my, my thing again. But that year, I got uh, why I went down that was I got a late invite to the uh, Olympic camp in Calgary, and Simone Gagne got hurt. He had a groin after the first day, and and I got a call, and I got a late invite. I always believed it was called because, uh, I mean, I was the closest guy, kind of. I lived in the area. I was up actually up in Edmonton, but uh, I came in the second day. And um, I went to that camp and that was a huge, huge boost to, to be on the ice with, uh, you know, Eric Lindros and Joe Sackick and Steve Eiserman, you know, all those guys, you know, shooting on a Bordeaux and, uh, you know, to be in there with the actual guys that I'd um, been watching growing up. And, and I didn't light it up by any means. It wasn't like that. It was just that I, I held my own, you know, like I was on there playing with them and I had a couple scoring chances and didn't score, didn't get any points, but I was like, I had a scoring chance and it was just such a huge boost uh, going into the start of the season. Um, Cause uh, that year before I'd gotten to 31 goals and 70 points. So I was starting to, to get better and, and to feel a little bit more confident, but no, I never, you know, viewed myself in, in, you know, thinking I was going to be on the Olympic team the next year. You know what I mean? It was just like, just trying to build, get better. And when I got that call, it still didn't think like I knew I was a late call. It wasn't like, Oh, I'm going to play on the Olympic team. It was uh, just a huge boost going into the season, playing at that speed, playing with those guys. And I got off to a great start, uh, uh, play with my buddy, Craig Conroy centerman. And uh, we had great chemistry and uh, we got off to a great start uh, of that season. And it really just rolled through the season and then made the Olympic team. And uh, uh, it was a very, very special year and, and one I'll never forget and getting to be on the team with, Joe Sackick and Iserman and Marilyn Mew, uh, McKinnis, guys that like, you know, I was on literally, you know, it is you're on the bus watching Rock'em Sock'em hockey. And, and these guys are all their highlights at the end and, and all the best goals of the year you're watching them. And now, you know, it feels like time flies by, you know, I'm, you know, 10 years later, I'm, I'm, they're still all in the NHL and, and I'm on the, on a team with them in the same yeah. dressing room, you know, it was, it was really, really cool. And I felt like, uh, you know, a, a big kid for sure. Right. That's interesting. So the 2002 year still felt like, I mean, I guess naturally you would, you still felt like almost, I wouldn't call it a fan, but you felt like a kid, right? You're with these guys that were your heroes and now you're on their team. Uh, I would call it a fan. Yeah. I was a fan. Yeah. <laughs> I walked into that dressing room and see their jerseys. I was a fan and I wanted to get jerseys signed by them, but I, I was, hopefully I was, you know, a little bit uh, cooler than <laughs> you know, I didn't yeah. come across quite like a fan, but inside. Yeah, absolutely. I try and bring that up because it's like the life cycle of hockey is so strange, right? Because at 10 years old, you know, like the 10 year olds right now are watching, you know, whatever. Now it's Connor McDavid or these guys, right? That 
they will, like the good ones, will play with Connor McDavid, right? Like, so you go from that 10-year-old fan with eyes like this, and like, there you're here. It's like, for me, it was Mario Lemieux. Like, if I would have played in a team with Mario Lemieux, like, I have to play against him, which was super cool. Like, play with him would have been ridiculous. I would have a really hard time figuring out how that was supposed to work, you know, right? Because you just look up to these guys so much. And then, but that life cycle happens, especially if you're in the game as long as you were. And then you became that guy that kids were like, oh, my gosh, I'm playing with Jerome McGinley. You know, and that's like that 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 circle is is an interesting thing, and maybe that's a good segue into leadership because at some point you become a guy that's just playing in the game. You know, you're participating, you're trying to find your way, and now you're looked at to be the leader of twenty other professionals, and maybe to be a spokesperson for a for a town and a city. How did, how was that maturing process and stepping into that role? Um. Well, hey, I, I'm just thinking of Marilyn. Me, I'll tell you a quick story. I, I got to play with him. He was a huge fan, too. And uh, I got to play with him on the World Cup team for Team Canada. And I got to be on his line. And I got oh. to play on the line with him and Joe Sackick. And it was it was so cool. And, you know, like, it, it was – but it was kind of funny because I'd go – you know, if, if I missed him on a pass, I'd come off and be like, hey, sorry, Mario. Like, you know what I mean? Or if I lost a battle in the corner, you get him. Sorry, Mario. Finally, he says to me, well, you stop saying sorry. It's a, it's a game of hockey. We don't say sorry. You know? <laughs> I'm like, oh, sorry. <laughs> you know, like just to, to find that adjustment, it was, it was like, but they were awesome leaders and they, and yeah, going into the leadership side, those guys were, were such humble guys that, you know, you played with them. They loved the game of hockey, um, you know, and, and uh, they were great examples and getting to be on that O2 team with them really helped me in, in learning, you know, about leadership and trying to grow. And I played with lots of great leaders and great teammates that you, you know, you learn some little bit from in different areas. Uh, but these guys, you know, Joe Sackick. So if you remember our first game against uh, Sweden, it's way back, you may not, but we lost, we lost big in 02, uh, first game against them. We were supposed to be a powerhouse and big game against Sweden. I think they beat us five, one or five, two or something and just thumped us. Mm-hmm. And the lines changes. And my first, my line the first day was pretty cool for me. I was, I was thrilled. I played with uh, Steve Eisenman, I believe, and uh, Brendan Shanahan, you know, that, that's, that's pretty cool. I was like, yeah, this is great. Then, but, but Joe Sackick, he was playing with Mary Lemieux and uh, Paul Curia. So the next day when the lines came after that first game, uh, we come to the rink and there's adjustment. The lines are all shaken up. And now I'm on the line with Joe Sackick and uh, Simone Gagne. I'm a young guy. Great. Cool. But then I'm thinking to myself, oh, geez, Joe Sackick must not be too happy. You know, like he goes from playing with no offense to Simone, but we're the two youngest, you know, forwards. It's like, that's a big difference, right? But his leadership, he comes over right away. And, uh, you know, right after the meeting, they, they did the meeting and he comes over. He goes, hey, guys, I'm real excited to get a chance to play with you young bucks. We're going to be great. We're going to have a good line fast and, you know, bring that energy. And, and right there, that little one thing he says it disarms it. I'm not thinking, oh, he's not, you know, like I'm feeling good about myself and I yeah. think Simone probably is too and excited and, and, you know, it, it totally changes the dynamic of the line and the confidence of uh, us as a group. And, you know, he went on to have a, obviously he was MVP of the tournament. He had a great tournament and we had a, we had a good line and the team won. Um, but I think that was a big part of it. And that was his leadership, a subtle thing. And he was such a humble guy, but for him to know, he probably recognized it we're probably thinking this, which I, I, I was, I'm like, do you really, yeah. <laughs> you know, that's a great story. That is an awesome example too, because 
that's understanding this. That means the psychology, the person, right? The person behind the player again, you know, like that this, these guys might need something here and I'm going to give it to them. That's uh, that's pretty powerful. And then you put that in your back pocket. I'm sure you use that later. I mean, young guys coming up or whatever the case may be, try and get people feeling comfortable and, and uh, feeling a part of things. Yeah, you try. Yeah. And, they, and, and there were so many leaders on that team. You go through it and that's what those team Canada, that was a pretty special one where, you know, I was a young guy and you're just watching them and Eiserman and how they all carry themselves, how they all enjoy coming to the rink and, and the enthusiasm they have. And we lost that first game big time. And it was like, to me, it's like the world, you know, in Canada, the world is, you know, you, you lose like that. It's a big deal. You know, it's yeah. embarrassing and you have a lot of pressure and those guys didn't show it. They, they were like, ah, that's one game. Don't worry about it. They got back to work, you know, and it ended up working out. We won, but it was neat to get to spend that time with them and just look at them all and watch them. And they were, humble guys and but they worked hard too I remember I remember saying that and I and it was like I always thought these guys were talented players and you know like you know it's Marilyn Mew it's a, you know Joseph kind of born like that they work when you play and you see it and now I don't think that anymore at all I know they worked extremely hard but when you see it up close in their preparation and what they do in the stretching and getting to see that as a young guy and how they approach it and how they work out it was a it was a gift as a young guy to get to play with them and, and get to see that it is a ton of hard work and, and probably mostly hard work that goes with the talent that they have and, and the, the God-given gifts, but they were the best players. They all, you know, getting to play with Crosby and McKinnon and, and you look and you, you know, you get to ask them what they did when they're younger and they all did a ton. They did a ton and they work hard now. They work hard then they work yeah. hard in their practices and they're better to me, I believe, because they've worked harder. Was, uh, since we were talking about Mario a little bit, that storyline there was the 04, the one where he where he let that puck, that pass go through his legs, like right in the slot, and it went back to Korea back door, and Korea buried that. Was that was that the tournament? Yeah, Salt Lake, Salt Lake, uh, the Olympics there, and uh, yeah, he let that go in that big game. I was in the finals. Was that that was in the finals, or he yeah. let that one? And who doesn't shoot that, eh? <laughs> It'd be coming near me. I'd be like, oh yeah, you know, <laughs> like to see the guy and have that confidence to leave it to go right through to him back. Oh. Pretty cool. He was. He was the so on those on those teams when you do one on ones and stuff you know how one on ones are against after you get past bantam it's pretty tough to beat a guy on a regular well gapped one on one right like right. it's really hard um, but he was the only guy that could beat the defenseman regularly on a one on one like he was so skilled Marilyn Mew it was like and I remember asking him he'd be like. Yeah, just, you know, all I do, I just drive down. I just, as soon as I see their feet, turn, I turn it when it turns the feet. You know, for him, it was that easy. It never works. Really? That's it? You know, and that never worked for the rest of us. But, uh, he was so talented. He was, uh, yeah, he was, he was the most, it was pretty neat to get to play against him and see it up close. And uh, uh, his skill level was, in the way, he obviously, we thought the game, he was so talented. To go with his, his whole game was just amazing. Yeah. We always get the, the questions of eras and who would do better when and all and all this and all that. And I mean, the physicality side for yourself, like the power forwards back in the 90s and the 2000s, uh, there was more of players like you. You know, you were one of the cream of the crop from that generation, but there's less of them now. Do you, do you think do you think like yourself implanted or maybe it'd be easier to say talk, not talk about yourself? Let's say Eric, Eric Lindros in today's game or Mary Lemieux in today's game, who do you think is more successful? Who do you think has a bigger impact in the game? Well, I think Mary Lemieux has a big impact. Like Eric Lindros was awesome, awesome player. And at the height of it, he was like, 
unbelievable. So I think both of them would be extremely, extremely successful wherever. You know what I mean? Eric Lindros would dominate now. They would, all that. But I think Marilyn like he's, to me, I think he's like, he's probably the, the most the dominant player that I like. And I got to see him when he was older. You know what I mean? Like this wasn't even, this was after he'd come back and he'd been through, um, you know, the back surgery, you know what I mean? Like he had to, like, it was unbelievable how good he still was. Like I couldn't even imagine, but Eric Lindros was un, like, he, yeah. he was so big and talented, you know, when he was before he, um, when he was younger, he had some injuries and stuff before he had any of the injuries. It was like, I remember being on the ice in my first few years with him and you're like, what, how do you stop this guy? You can't hit him. Like he's good. You go to hit him and hurts you more for yeah. sure. You'll fly. He could, <laughs> he could shoot the puck way harder than, than everybody else. Um, yeah. So I don't know about that. Like, I think those guys completely dominate just the way they, they did yeah. back then. Like, I think they, they would dominate either era or whatever. I, I don't yeah. think that those guys, uh, I don't think I the game, agree. I think the game is quicker in the sense that the, the bottom, the fourth line, the seventh, sixth, fifth defensemen, they can all skate way better and everything. So it is definitely quicker, but I don't know that the higher top end speed is is that much faster than Pavel Burry or Timu Solani were when they were right. flying around. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I, I still no, think, and I don't know that they shoot the puck harder than Eric Lindros. I don't know that anybody shoots the puck harder than he could shoot it, you know, like his size and like it's still and not that they he shot it harder than them now i just don't know that it's you know i know the one slap shot but z was able to do that char was able to do that 10 years ago you know what i mean yeah. that's not like he it's uh but i their overall speed is faster but i think those guys were yeah they're, they're, they're two you pick two great guys that were yeah. so dominant. Yeah, the only reason i brought it up though was because like the, there's there's without question less physicality in the game like there's not as many hits there's not as much net front battle um, there's less fighting, you know, and, and you can't hold up. So like a guy, like a Tom Wilson is super effective now. A guy like Zach Cassian super effective now, you know, and, and come playoff time, they're even more uh, effective because that's when, you know, you're allowed to maybe play a little meaner. I think it would be interesting to implant a guy like Lindros in today's game and just watch him wreak havoc, right? Because no yeah. one's used to it, you know, like no one's used to a guy being a wrecking ball out there and being that good. Whereas a guy like Mary Lemieux, who is that talented and that big and no one can hold him up and no one can hook him, like that would be scary to watch too. So uh, I think they would both be interesting to watch in today's game. But Yeah, it would be fun. And I agree with you. I, I like, what do you do with, with, Eric Lindros and like you can't hold him walking out of the court either one like it would be yeah and and, and we're probably going to get to see some uh um you know there's uh some you know um there's going to be some other power forwards uh coming I think it still serves a, a big purpose in the game and you know like I don't think it's uh uh I don't yeah we'll, we'll get those again I, I think yeah, well, the pendulum's going to swing back I, I think you know I mean I think like the, the cup win with with uh with St. Louis, big, heavy team, right? Like Boston was a heavy team when they got to the yeah. final. Uh, Tampa learned their lesson and got a little tougher, a little grittier, right? They won the cup now this year. Like, I think, you know, it's uh, it's starting to, the pendulum's starting to shift a little bit, I think, to get a little of that power back in the lineup. But it's easier said than done, too, because you got to get in the playoffs in the first place. And right now, the regular season isn't a game for for, for lots of uh, size and toughness. You know, you got to get yeah, in. Yeah, 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 that's right. I, I'd like to see them call. I thought it was better, like, you don't want it two extremes. You don't want, I don't like if you call everything and then nothing, you know what I mean? I think it has to be a little bit closer to where you let a little more go so that a, a team can have 
I mean, that success. And I'm a little biased because I felt like that happened a little bit with Calgary, right? Like they, right. they had a couple of years ago, they had a really good regular season team and, and they probably weren't as gritty at the time. They were a lot grittier now. Um, and, you know, and come playoffs, it's, it becomes a little bit different. So, yeah, right. I think it should be, they find that consistency in there. And, and I like obviously a little bit more of the physical play. And I, I think the playoffs are, uh, as most hockey fans, it's, it's tough to beat. Yeah, it is tough to beat. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to close with something that I think we have to touch on. I know you've been so gracious with your time and uh, we're, we're already over that 90 minute mark. So we'll let you go. But I want to touch on diversity because it's a huge, it's a huge thing right now. And this year in Stanley Cup playoffs with Matt Dumba and the diversity committee and, uh, you know, the, the, the idea that we're stronger together, right? That, that, that inclusion is a, is a big part of the NHL. Yourself with a father from Nigeria and, and identifying as a person of color, how do you feel, one, your involvement with the game was, I guess maybe it would be a good starting point, is did you feel included? Um, maybe to start there, and then what else can we do moving forward to make sure that, that uh, we're doing the right things as a collective group? Yeah, yeah. So my story, uh, being, you know, a young black player and a young minority uh, growing up in hockey, I, I knew, you know, I knew I was the only, you know, pretty much, you know, I was aware of it, that I was the only black player on my team. But my teammates, you know, I was very blessed. So it's hard because my story isn't the same as everybody has a different story. Every player has a different story. And a lot of black players had a lot tougher situations than I did, you know. So growing up in, in Edmonton and St. Albert there, I, um, I had great experiences. And I, there's a couple where, you know, fans, I, I can think back. And, and one, you know, um, you know, at a game where people were, a little bit offside, uh, not a little bit, I shouldn't say a little bit. I'm thinking two stories at once. One was a, a kid in a, a lineup in my first year, a seven years old, uh, my first year of hockey. I can remember where it was in, in, uh, and it was in Alberta. And, uh, and the kid said, he turned around in the lineup as we were waiting for a concession stand, you know, after the game. And he goes to me, well, why are you playing hockey? You know, and, and, you know, like, I remember telling my mom after, you know, what's, you know what I mean? Like, and I could tell what he, what he meant, you know, he was seven years old. Um, and I remember my mom telling me, well, you know, it's what, you know, ignorant and, and don't worry about it. It's game for everyone. Look at Grant Fuhrer and, and all that. And it bothered me because I can remember exactly where I was, you know what I mean? But mm -hmm. um, that was the one. And, and he was just, a, he was, he was a kid and, um, you know, wasn't as harsh as what other people have been through. And, and, uh, but it, it obviously got seared in my memory because I literally remember almost pretty much what he looks like. He's seven years, you know, at seven years old and where I was in the concession in the rink. And it was my first tournament. So all those things. So it does have an imprint for sure. But, uh, also, you know, there'd be sometimes at some games where maybe fans, and this is not often, um, where fans were, you know, maybe saying something inappropriate, you know, and, and I couldn't hear them. Um, but I would, I would, you know, sometimes I'd find out after and it's maybe once in hockey or that I can remember, maybe once in baseball. Um, and then, you know, one of my uh, good friends, his dad would go over and talk or, you know, go stand by him and talk or tell him it's inappropriate. He's a big guy. And it meant a lot to me. It was really, really powerful. I've said the story before, but it was really powerful that uh, it wasn't my mom having to go over or it wasn't my grandpa or my dad, if he was there, that had to go over and stick up for me or, you know, as a family, because they should do that. And you know mm -hmm. your family's going to. But it was really, really powerful that a, um, a teammate's dad did, you know, and that it was, it made it feel like, 
you know, that I did belong. And that's not, that's, that guy was being completely um, offside and, and ignorant and, you know, was wrong, you know? So it was really special. And so I would definitely say if, if those situations come up and people see things um, that are inappropriate, if you could still, you know, it goes a long way when a, a, another family or another teammate stands up and, and says something uh, as opposed to just uh, that family or that teammate. And, you know, it, it goes, doesn't have to be, you know, he didn't, he wasn't rude to the guy. It just, I, I don't even know exactly what he said, but they never, ever got it. But um, that was special and it was very, very helpful. But uh, as far as uh, I know, there's players who had a lot tougher experiences than I've had. Um, and so I look back. Yeah. I, I had amazing experiences in hockey and, and uh, my teammates were great to me. And, and uh, I loved every bit of minor hockey and, you know, and, and minor baseball and all those, all those things. And I was very, very blessed to have a, a much smoother path than a lot of other kids uh, and other black kids and other minorities. Um, and so, but I also was really proud of the, you know, of the NHL when they did that in the playoffs and they got together and they stood together and, and, you know, um, you know, um, the, all the players, uh, when they had the press conference and they were arm in arm and, and, uh, you know, I, I love that. And I love that more, you know, they're speaking out and, and not just the black players, but all the players. And it's important that it's not just the black players. It's, uh, to, and also to hold more people accountable, you know, and, and things that are offside in a dressing room, if they're said, you know, the more people like Crosby and Taze and Bergeron and all those guys have spoken up along with uh, Dumba, uh, Reeves, you know, it, that they're doing it together. It'll make them all more accountable and uh, make sure that the uh, uh, locker room and just to each other, even, you know, there's it's a much bigger, you know, there's systemic stuff they have, you know, you have to fix and in, in, uh, in society and all that. I do believe that. And I do believe and I'm supportive of the Black Lives Matter matters movement. Um, but I think in hockey, I think having all the players step up and, and talk and, and talk about it, it makes them more accountable and more aware when, when things are in the future. If there's things, and there, I'm sure there will be sometimes that uh, are inappropriate, mm-hmm. that are borderline, that, uh, that shouldn't be in a dressing room, shouldn't be in a conversations and the way we treat people. And um, they'll be more accountable to each other and, and also for kids to see that and, and that it isn't. Uh, uh, but to get more, you know, there's lots of issues in, in, you know, I'd love to, it's a great game and want to see the game more accessible to, to, uh, you know, the people ask me that question, how do you, you know, get more black people playing hockey and black kids playing hockey. And, um, you know, the game does need to grow and it does need to be more accessible to kids. And so there's so many issues, but, um, yeah, it's an important issue obviously. And, uh, um, one that, uh, it's, um, you know, and, and, getting to be involved in hockey and, and to be a coach and, and now, and you feel like you can, you just try to make a little bit of difference too and, and wherever you can and trying to make it a better locker room and, and kids be more aware of each other and, and what's appropriate, what's not appropriate. And going back to where we started an hour ago or whatever it was and, and trying to treat people the way we want to be treated and, and uh, respecting each other. Yeah, no, that's uh, thanks for sharing. You know, that's, uh, I, I mean, I've had, I mean, uh, you know, Kevin Weeks has been on. I've talked to Nathan Lafayette. I've talked to some of some of my previous uh, teammates. You know, people uh, teammates of color, and uh, it, it's really changed the perspective for me of just even thinking about what it was like for them to be in that locker room, which I never thought of that at the time. You know, that this was somehow a different experience for them. You know, because I never saw anything. 
I never saw anything that was inappropriate or offside in all my in, all, in my ten years playing. You know that doesn't mean that nothing ever happened. But uh, I felt that it was that's one of the sides, and you know, you sharing that, you know, that you said you had a couple of things definitely that imprinted you, and 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 how powerful that is, right? Like that something something in, at seven years old from another kid can be can be that that big of an imprint on you and have that effect that it's worthy of the discussion, you know? So like, thank you for, for bringing that up because I don't know. I, I don't know what else we, we can do. You know, I know Dave and Cosby and some of these white guys were, were feeling like, what, what am I supposed to say? You know, like, what am I supposed to say? Cause I don't really understand. I don't agree with, with what happens sometimes. I don't really know what to say. And I think, I, I think the conversations are a big starting point for, for people who, who don't understand and, and just allowing uh, players to tell their stories and listen with open ears and be empathetic and 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 essentially have a zero tolerance, which is what you said, kind of back a little bit, right? It's like we just can't accept it collectively. Like it, it's not that you can't accept it; it's that I can't accept it. You know, it's it's that coach on the other team can't accept it. Like if we hear some, it's just got to be no. This this doesn't happen here, right? This just does not happen. And I think when we get to that spot that's got to be a safer place for everybody. And then we become more inclusive and it becomes more accessible. Correct. I, I agree. Yeah. And that's, that's, you know, there's bigger, obviously bigger issues and different things. And in, in as far as uh, society and growing, but right now in hockey and what we can impact, um, you know, and what, what could Crosby, you know, I thought it was great. And I thought when all those guys, and then, you know, when Bergie and, and they, Bergeron and said, you know, they won't be silent, you know, and I think that makes people more accountable in the in the dressing room when you spend a lot of time together and you want it to be, uh, well, it, it has to be, it should be a, a safe environment all the way through and enjoyable. It's an amazing sport with, a, it's a sport where it's got so many neat personalities, you know, a team, a good hockey team. When you think back to every good hockey team you had on it, it was a variety of personalities. It wasn't everybody the same. It wasn't everybody dry it was some were drier some had dry sense of humor some would just joke all the time and that's yeah, what makes yeah. it a special you know that's what makes a locker room and a team uh special it is it and that's in hockey is all the different nationalities and um you know so yeah it, and it can be improved upon and, and uh but i think having everybody stand up and, and talk about it is is a, a good start and it's it's going to help and, uh, and when people hear something now, their antenna, you know, they'll be like, that's not, is that, that's not okay. You know what I mean? And you said mm -hmm. it wasn't going to be okay. So I think it does hold everyone a little, a lot more accountable and uh, as it should, and, and makes us more aware too, uh, of what is acceptable and isn't acceptable and, and just keep working to, to get better. Yeah, no, I think that's well said and well put. Uh, Scott Nichol maybe said it well. You, you said we're not, we're not all the same. And, and Scott Nichol said you, you can't have 20 milk drinkers on the team. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's a balance, yeah. though, eh? You can, get, yeah. you can get too many uh, wild guys and it, it can go south, too, right? And you get yeah. too many boring guys and, we're, and then it's boring, right? So that, that yeah. mix, and that's what all those GMs are, are trying to find between those uh, – those top teams are so close and how do you find that and it's uh, yeah. just I, you know it just comes together at certain times no i hear you well Iggy, you've been you've been gracious um super, super thankful for you spending time with us and and sharing you know whatever your your, your story right your story and, and 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 some of some of the reasons of what made you 
uh, become the player you became and the person you became and now the coach and parent that, you, that you've become too. So I uh, really appreciate your time and, and awesome getting to hang out with you for, for 90 minutes. Thanks for doing this. Hey, thank you. And uh, hey, I, I know you said uh, I was like 60 minutes. That's all 90. I, in 60 now, I, I want to keep going. I do want to say uh, for the kids, I know you have a lot of kids that listen and, uh, you know, when you're aspiring, absolutely, you know, to, to work to get better. It, it is It is possible. And but it's a ton of it's a ton of practice, and you know when if kids ever wonder, you know at home, um, just going to practice and working hard, that's awesome. That's awesome. But that's expected if you want to get really good. You got to do stuff at home, and you got to do stuff away from the rink. Um, that's how, and the other guys are too. So, you know what I mean. And some days it's not all fun. I know we were talking about it being like, oh, you know, working. It's just fun. No, it's hard work some days. It is hard work to, to get yourself out and get yourself in a routine to go out there and practice regularly and, and uh, to shoot pucks regularly. So whether it's charts or whatever it is, uh, put those together because you all need a little bit of motivation one time or another. And, mm-hmm. um, but it is, uh, it is, and it's a, it's a, I, love the, I love the game. I love sports, and I, and I like kids seeing, you know, getting better. But I do get asked that a lot, and, and I know we talked about it earlier. We touched on it briefly. Yeah. It's, it's a lot of practice. And it is fun, but there is work in there, as you know. Hey, there's yeah. days where you you grind it, you grind it, and it, and then it's fun being better on the ice. So, you know, get to work if you you know, and have fun doing it. I guess, right? I guess, yeah. Can I can I ask one one question on that one follow up? Because I think it's it's. Uh, I'm sure you've had it too. But at what age is the onus on the player to do that, and and the parental intervention or you know prodding or pushing like? Should the parent ever be involved in that? Should there be support from the parent to get them doing the extra, or or is, do you think that's coming from the player and the player should own that? Well, do you have do you have much time? Do you have pods? <laughs> you just sent me down another uh, another one. Uh, <laughs> the uh, you know when I was younger, I always got paid for my goals and assists, and uh, um, my grandpa always gave me you know it was kind of funny as I got older, it was like five bucks for a goal, a couple bucks for an assist or a dollar for assist. It used to be like $2 for a goal, a dollar for assist. As I got older, you didn't score as many. It was more, but I loved it. I loved it. And I love to score goals. I love to get points. I love the game of hockey, but it was, it made it even more fun, you know, and, and we were at good teams in St. Albert. We won different provincial championships and we blew out a lot of teams, but in those games, when we would be winning eight to one, I wasn't bored. I couldn't wait to get back on the ice and try to get another goal because it's fun to score, but also because it was more money, you know? So um, with our own kids, um, I, we, we do, we pay them, we pat, we, we continue that on. And it's kind of funny. People are always like, really? And now they don't, they don't care, but they like it's, it's, you know, it's kind of fun. They keep a tab at the end of the year. They, you know, they collect or whatever. Um, but I do believe in giving them extra incentives. And my wife has made a lot of uh, uh, charts for them over the years, you know, when they were younger, eight, nine, 10, you know, how many pucks to shoot. You know, if you shoot a hundred here, you cross it off on the calendar, you know, maybe there's, but I do believe in incentives because um, any way you can make it more fun. Like some people are like, Oh no, I just want it to all be natural. And, and just to, and that might work, but that's not what we believe. You know what I mean? And, and uh um, I think that it uh, the more that you can just find ways to so you keep those kids engaged in games where they blow teams out. My son can't wait to get on there. He seems like he can't wait to get on the ice and try to rack it up like I wanted to too. And and you know it's a bigger bill and to be like, hey dad, I just made 
$14 that game, you know, it was a huge game, you know, like, and I, that's like, that might be a seven goal game or, or no, he doesn't score seven goals. Not like that. <laughs> <laughs> seven big, you know, two bucks a goal. I think we pay or something like that. My mm-hmm. wife keeps track of it, but, and then also I had a, today we had our, our rink here for the first time and it was an outdoor rink. And this might be a little bit on that, that vein that you're talking about is that I said to my wife earlier today, I looked out the, out the, on the ice and the two sons, uh, they had their drills going. They were going, you know, doing stuff, you know, turn backs through the pylons, cut back, take it to the net and do all that. And I said to her, I go, and I get out with them a lot and I, and I go through, you know, shooting and, and, but now mostly I just give them ideas or do fun stuff like one timers and everything. But I used to do more stuff with them. But I said to her, I said, if I tried to put them through those drills, they'd be tired. They would do it four times. They're out there doing it 16 times. I'm like, why? I'm like, oh my God, like they can't see me. I'm up in the, the window watching, you know, <laughs> but it's like, I think they're, they're getting to at 14 now and 12 is it's, it's getting more self-driven, you know, and, and uh, cause it's going to be a ton of work if they, you know, to get where they dream to go. Um, and it can't be just me like grinding them and grinding them. It can't be. I, I don't believe that that'll actually work. So it was, that was just a thought on what you were saying is today. I remember I said that to her. It was like, look at that. Like I'm staying out of it. So I'm starting to stay out of it more and let them go. But mm-hmm. if, if that's, you know, if there needs to be a, um, my, my wife drew those charts and everything. I don't know what else Then we have to come up with something else. I guess we'll work on it at the time uh, if they like it, you know, but to try to keep encouraging them and having fun and, and, uh, you know, not over critique them after games and, and, and things like that, all those things you hear about all the time. But um, yeah. yeah, I love talking about that. That's I love talking about. Oh, it's fun because there there is a there is that eternal. I shouldn't say it's an eternal battle, but there, you know, you talk about the extrinsic, the external motivator, the extrinsic one, right? The the, the goals, the the money, right? And then there's the intr- the internal, the intrinsic, right? That this makes me feel good, right? Like I'm going to be on the ice and I want to get better, right? And I think most of us probably want our kids to do it for themselves, right? Like they get that internal kind of sense of joy and, and, and gratitude and, and, you know, confidence uh, from what they're doing. Like the actions that they're taking is making them better, but the external part shouldn't be forgotten about. And I think that that was a good reminder that there is, you know, as a pro, you get rewarded, you know, extrinsically, you get fame, you get the fame, you get the, you know, you get the, the fans, you get more money, bigger contract, longer terms. I mean, all these things happen um, for, for, for producing and playing well. So there's external motivators. But if you don't have the internal, I think that's when it gets, well, it just doesn't happen. If, if, if you're not, if you're not internally driven, um, you're going to have a hard time having success long term, I think. So it's good to find the good to find the balance there. It, it is. And I think that also is important. And that what I'm trying to find um, is that uh, is they also you, you want if they have a dream. Right. And they want to do it. You, you want to help them along it. But you also, like you said, with your son earlier, is you also want to show them like it's like you, you're, you don't want to leave like you're. So, for example, our youngest son, Joe, when he wasn't that into hockey was like fine he liked it he did but we wanted him to stay good enough so that if you really did like it he could have a chance to be to really like it and be good so you you can kind of help him along the way I think in in and they have to you know you can't stay right out of it right like you want to pass on some of your goal scoring stuff and your shot you had a great shot um you know and you're skating like so it is that balance hey where we we want to still be able to give them 
um, some knowledge, but where is that balance about too much? Hey, some great books I read. Uh, have you read The Talent Code? Uh, no, on my list though. On yeah, my list. it's good yeah. it's, for this stuff. It's neat, and it's if, if you can help the the kids yeah. uh, get into it is what it believes. You know what I mean? The myelin that it's building, and I and I really believe in that stuff. And it's like when they're on, if you can get them focused, it's just such a big difference than just time in, right? And that's yeah. that's what I've seen in a lot of the the kids that I've that I've gotten to see over the last four years get better, and ones that don't get better as quick as the others. They just don't seem to be, they do a lot. They just aren't into it as much as the other yeah. kids. So it's important to try to find those little things you can trigger it and helping them be into it. That myelination is, uh, that's getting into almost kind of like deliberate practice, right? Like the, the, yep. the you know, the 10% kind of just to, to, to make that, that neural connection just be stronger, right? So it becomes a, a quicker, a quicker, quicker response time i see that with the have you, have you guys have the super deaker in your house have you have you ever had the, do you know what that is yeah yeah, yeah. so the, hudson bought one like my i told you my crazy 11 year old with his own money right and like him him and his little brother who's the other forwarder in there and they're just like com super competitive right against themselves and against each other and it's wild to see the difference like from you know four weeks ago till now uh, yeah the patterns right and like putting in the time and being deliberate about it and like you know gosh it's it's, it's so crazy one thing maybe we'll end with it or maybe i'll get your opinion on it is uh, sometimes parents come to me and ask questions right like oh johnny doesn't want to shoot pucks or you know or you know when i tell him something he gets resistant and i'm fighting with my kid and i don't want that and nobody does want to fight with their kid uh I found I found even with coaching kids and and even like parenting my own kids is asking them what type of support they want, you know, like how do you want to be supported, point. you know, and then because then when they agree to it, and I think you'll probably relate to that from hockey, right? Like when you guys when when collectively twenty people agree that this is the standard we're going to create and this is the direction we want to get to, now you're accountable to it because you're a part of the process. Yeah, right. That makes you know? sense. Yeah, I like yeah, that. So, so when you ask them, like you you ask, you know, whoever, like a Hudson, well, how do you want after a game? Like, what do you want me to say? Do you, do you want me to tell you all the good stuff? Do you want to hear some stuff you can work on? Or, <laughs> you know, and, and like, and they'll tell you, you know, and I think like, for, for me, that's been successful as a dad and as a coach, because different guys are going to tell you different things, you know, and uh, and I think if you can operate with their language, you can you can get that little that 10 percent more out of them, I think. Yeah, I like that. I like that for sure. That sounds good. And then. The other was, um, is I was thinking is from those, a couple of those books like that is that, and it makes sense, is a practice for parents is the worst thing it says, and I kind of agree with it, is that we shouldn't, the kids, if they want to reach for their goal and you want to help them get to their goal and just get better and, and, and all those things, is they can't be in trouble for not practicing because it's such a, so you want to encourage them. And, and this is what, you know, I believe that it's obviously everyone does their own thing, but you mm. want to encourage them, but they are not in trouble for not practicing. It's, it's more like, well, if you want to get to where you want to go, it's kind of like what you said, you know, where yeah. you have a talk with them, but it's going to probably take this as opposed to not be in trouble because you don't want to take the fun out of that. It seems like it takes the fun out of a sport really quickly. You know what I mean? Like mm. it is like, and that's, that should be extra. So it's different if you want to, you know, like some parents aren't happy with their kid not competing on the ice or trying hard or whatever. I, I get that. I get that. But the practice at home, the extra is like, I don't, I think that should be encouraged in, in different ways you can help them be motivated, mm -hmm. but I don't think they should ever be in trouble for not doing extra and, 
it's it's a sport it's made to be fun and i think that's just not a and then those it's kind of like a it turns them off pretty quick and right. um you know what i mean and yeah. and then even they go out they go out what is it begrudgingly you know to do it where they yeah. they just go through the motions it's not the same so they're wasting their time and now you're mad so yeah. I, I would I would definitely think to parents, uh, you know, as a as a coach and stuff, is not to you know force them to do it. Yeah, but, it's uh, so isn't it great? It's so fun having kids involved in the game. I've said that on here before. Like it's just it brings you back to the game in a with a whole different perspective, right? With a whole with a whole different lens uh, of how you see things, and uh, and I've loved it actually. I mean, I, I think I loved it as much, if not more. You know, I mean, helping them and being a part of their journey and what makes them tick and what makes them smile, uh, and helping other kids too. Like, I love the aspect of being a coach. I think it's yeah, uh, I think it's so rewarding. Like, it's 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 so fun. Yeah, you don't get to compete and live and die like we did, and you know, it's not our <laughs> on the ice, but but it is theirs and it's their dreams, right? And you've said that a few times, right? Like that. Really, I think as a coach, one. Uh, and definitely as a parent that like my job is to support dreams. Like, what are your dreams, man? And like, I want to help you get there and, and yeah, I'm going to okay. do the best I can to help you. So, um, I know that you're in the same boat there. And again, I'll, we'll, uh, we'll cut you off because I told you we could do this forever. Iggy. You didn't even believe me. <laughs> we could keep going, but, uh, we'll let you go. I know he's getting close to bedtime there and your dog probably has to go pee. I hear him barking. So you got to get him out. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds good. Well, thanks, Pods. It's nice talking to you, man. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, it was great, man. And um, until next time, we'll have to get you back out in the summer here and uh, go for a round next year. That sounds good. Well, yeah, we'll see you uh, in the summer. Cheers. Thank you so much for listening today to episode 41. And uh, what a what a conversation with Mr. Jerome McGinley. Iggy, thank you so much. If you, if you happen to listen to this, I really am appreciative of your time. Uh, it was funny. We joked about it a little bit during the conversation, if you heard. But before before we got on the air over the email leading up to the uh, conversation, Iggy was like, I told him to book, you know, 60 to 90 minutes. And and he said, yeah, everything sounds good. But he's like, geez, that sounds like a long time. And uh, which is, I mean, the case, right? I mean, that's it. I can't believe how long these interviews go. And and there is some hesitation from all the guests when I say, you know, 60 to 90 minutes. And then at the end of the 90 minutes, everyone's like, oh my gosh, that went so fast. So uh, that's exactly what happened. My gosh, we ended up going for two hours. Um, and it's just, it, it, it's easy once you get going, you know, when, once you reconnect. And with someone like uh, Jerome, who's as, as authentic and as, uh, you know, approachable as he is and so forth coming with, uh, with his opinion that, geez, you can just, you could just keep going. So... I really enjoyed that. Uh, I really hope you guys got to see a different side of Jerome that maybe you hadn't seen before and got to hear his opinion and his take on some things uh, that aren't necessarily about the back of the hockey card and, you know, the things that we remember watching on TV, but getting into more of what it's like to be a parent now and what what his experience was like as a, as a black hockey player growing up and, and what it's like to, you know, what his what his grassroots kind of beginning was like and, and, and how, how his adversity helped crystallize him as a player. And uh, I, I just really enjoy these and I really enjoy hearing from someone like Jerome, like that story of him first time on the ice with no socks on and no jersey and not being able to skate with, uh, with an afro <laughs> at the local outdoor rink is, is just so wild, right? That, uh, that that little seven-year-old kid who was who has, uh, you know, had somebody chirping him for, for why are you play in this sport turns out to be a Hall of Famer. 
and uh, you know, uh, most people have humble beginnings. You never know where you're going to end up. So I think that's an amazing takeaway from this. Uh, and another amazing takeaway for me is, my goodness, never be too big for anyone else. You know, if there's anyone who's entitled to have a little bit of a <clears throat> pretentiousness to them, it would be somebody like Jerome, 20 seasons in the league, Morris Richard trophy winner, six-time All-Star, two-time gold medalist, 600 goals. You know, I mean, the, the list goes on and on and on. And this guy is just a jewel of a human. You know, I think he reminds himself daily uh, about what it means to be appreciative and grateful. I know his faith that we touched on it a little bit is a big part of, of that. And, um, you know, character's king. So pick your role models wisely. I believe Jerome McGinley is one that can be ever a role model for everybody. And uh, I guess we'll leave you with that. So continue to play hard and keep your head up, everybody. Cheers.